Viewer discretion is advised. I want to see people with a roof over their head. I want to see community housing. I want to see people with a warm bed. I want to see kids who can go to school. We don't have to share a uniform. Mandate. Hey, welcome to Mandate, where we navigate fresh perspectives and nothing's off the table. Our guest uh, is a proud coaster. He also resides in Tambagi Makoda in Auckland and is a man who's an entrepreneur and established businessman as well, but also uh, renowned in the hospitality field. And so he's a man who is not afraid to speak his mind. He added a bit of a controversy, politics, and also strong values and convictions, which uh, make a, a good mix for someone who could very well be the next mayor of Tamaki Makoto, Auckland. So please put your hands together for the man himself, Leo Malloy. Thank you, Brad. Uh, Leo, listen, Leo, thank you so much. I know you're a very busy man. I know the campaign's been quite busy, but hey, where do we start, Leo? Because you're such a colourful personality, mate. Um, where, what, what, what do we want to say? Because um, maybe we should just go straight into kind of your background. So tell us a little bit about how it all started for you and all that and how you kind um, of got into Well, I'm one of seven children. Um, mum was young when dad died, mum was only 33. Mum's sister had 11 children, so I guess you could reasonably presume if dad hadn't died. Dad was a soldier in the Second World War. Come home and married mum, he's a little bit older, about 14 years older. But um, he died relatively young at 47, mum was widowed at 33, so so I'm, one, I'm number two of the seven. Um, I, in the first instance, left school at 15. I ended up going back to school when I was 24. So I wanted to develop another career, an academic career. I realised the era of my ways where I hadn't probably understood the value of um, tertiary education. Not that there was a premium on tertiary education in those days like there is now. In those days it was more of a rarity but I went back and d- went back to school and then I became a veterinary surgeon and practiced small animal practice for about four years and in 1991 kind of by accident I got into hospitality. The government at the time rewrote the sale of Liquor Act, took the monopoly off the breweries so it allowed people with a little bit of flair entrepreneurs as you generously described me before to get into hospitality but of course being of Irish extraction hospitality is not too difficult for Irish people because most of us just talk shit and drink piss all day so, <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like an easy fit for me so I've managed to go through the last how many years is that probably 34 35 years Mate. just mucking around in hospitality and I've still registered as a vet I don't do much practice these days mainly did a little bit of um, high performance equine stuff up until about five years ago but in recent times, it's more been just so I can help the odd person with things like ex- expert witness stuff, oh, for right. performance enhancing drug related issues and stuff like that. But this is the last year I'm going to register because I've obviously got plans to mm, run for yeah, the mayoralty. Yeah. So, wow, man! I'm just wondering because did you mention you're a jockey as well? Um, About thirty kilograms ago, yep, yeah, I yeah, was. Yeah. That's when I was quite young. So oh. um, that was a very brief part of my life. That wasn't a significant part of my life. Wow. I, I, having said that, I kept riding up until, as I said, about five years ago. I used to enjoy writing, so it's quite an art writing uh, at that level. Yeah, yeah. Because um, you have to have unique, you've got to have good balance and good hands and stuff. So I used to enjoy that. And it's actually good for your health. It's quite demanding. Yeah. So you, have, you end up having very strong legs, very strong quadriceps and stuff. I can still deadlift. I can, um, I could leg press up until a couple of years ago, about 600 kg. Damn. But I did it the other day to show, just to show oh, off to the mate. boys. I took the firemen on. The firemen have a, about four different colour squads brown, green, red, blah, blah. And they train at the same gym. And I said to them one day, Who's the strongest? Let's have a go. So <laughs> they put their best man up, and I destroyed him pretty easily. No way. But, yeah, yeah. But, um, and they, you know, bear in mind they run up the sky tower. But I, um, I did four hundred kg the other day, just just to show off to because the boys at the gym go, oh, yeah, come on, man, you can't. I said, watch me. So I got a couple of um, personal instructors to take each side. It's just only leg pressing. It's only your legs, and I've got no no upper body power. But 
I, I was doing 140 the other day. I went to that gym up in Newmarket just for a bit of a one-off. And I said, put a bit of weight on there. And the bloke goes, oh, I'll start you off nice and light, about 60 or 80. Come on, man. <laughs> so he got the hundred. He said, "You're not safe to more than hundred." I said, "Don't be ridiculous." So I, I persuaded him to put 140 on, which I did. Lifted easy. So wow, but um, I could have done a lot more. But I mean, I've only got one muscle in my body that's any use. It's just yeah. all one set of muscles, the quaddies. So other than that, and I think it comes from riding because I spent wow. a lot of years riding in the squat position. You develop a lot of natural strength. So it's cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> and it's. That's no. awesome. You, you mentioned something there about um, leaving school and then sort of realising the importance of tertiary education. Yeah. Um, do you think tertiary education is as essential nowadays as it was back, back I think prob- probably more so. Like, mm. uh, I come from the West Coast, obviously from Greymouth or country. Mm. Mum's family come from a wee place called Blackball that a lot of people might recognise or just in that area, not quite Blackball. And Dad comes from a place called Kotaku, which is near Moana or Lake Brunner. So a lot of people will know those areas. But uh, back in those days, I remember when the first person from that area went to university, and it was quite a novelty. So given that mum was a widow, I was the second of seven, and I was quite a rebellious child. So um, when I said I wanted to leave at 15, she said that if you do this, this, and this, or achieve that, you can leave. So it was normal. I left at 15, but when I finished riding, which I only rode for about four years, then I went over, and I actually went to England, and I worked for the Queen's Stable for a couple of years down near a place called Oxford, which is quite well known for the university. Mm-hmm. My, our place was West Elsley, a village just outside. But when I was there, I was thinking to myself, you know what, riding's quite cool, and it's quite good fun, and you meet a lot of interesting people when you're in England riding, because it's a different um, culture racing over there. It's very much the elite, the royalty, or the upper class people, which obviously we don't have a class system in New Zealand. But even I was starting to look at myself in the mirror and going, really, is this where your life's going to end? You know, are you better than this? And luckily for me, I've got a reasonably good brain on me. I'm not, I'm not particularly bright, but I'm adequate. And I thought I'd better do something with it because clearly I was not really cut out for physical work. You know, so so I was happy. I'd applied through New Zealand House. I said, can I go back to um, and do something like vet school? And they went to Massey and Massey, which is the only place you can do vet school in New Zealand. They come back and they literally said, you're dreaming. Said, but if you're really serious about it, you should go back to school. So when I turned 24, about two days before I turned 25, I started back at school and did sixth form and seventh form. I was only going to do one year, I was going to do sixth form. But when I went and did sixth form, I kind of realised then that the subjects you have to do to become a vet are quite weird. You do physics, chemistry and maths, pure maths, stats, mm. those sort of subjects. And you think, why do I need that to be a vet? But when I went back to sixth form, and I was reasonably good at maths too, but even then I realised, you know what, it's going to take a little bit more work than I thought. And I thought if I'm going to give it six years of my life, I might as well give it seven to make sure I get in. Because first year into vet school back in those days, slightly different now, they used to take 50 applicants per year. So you'd be one of about 250 who'd enrol. And they'd keep about five places aside for people like um, maybe someone who qualified in Czechoslovakia who had come to New Zealand but their credentials weren't accepted in New Zealand so they had to do a refresher so they go straight to second year but they still could do four years. So out of the first year, 250 applicants, they'd take 50, 45 odd through. So you've got to be on, on your game to get through. Having said that, because I was a bit older, I was very focused. A lot of the young ones who go there are just interested in playing rugby and drinking piss. In those days it was pretty much a guy's career. Now it's very female-oriented now. But they take a whole lot more now. It's a different system now. They don't do a full year at first year. But some of the things you have to study, like physics, you're trying to work out, why am I studying physics to become a veterinarian, you know? Anatomy? Yeah, I get that. Yeah, so anyway, it is what it is. So wow. I did it all. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. 
without too much difficulty. So failed one paper along the way, but I think they failed me because I was such a smart ass at vet school. <laughs> <laughs> I was always the one answering back a question. And some of those professors used to look at you going, I'll get square with you one day, Malloy. So one day they made me do a special, so it ruined my summer holiday. But apart from that, I breezed through quite easily. So It's nice. interesting. It's interesting, um, Leo, because you said that you know, as an adult student, you, you were quite focused. And it seems like, you, like I've read a lot of stuff on articles about you, and it seems like it's been part of your life. You know, you've just been oh, your life in terms of your focus. You're driven, and I remember one. I think there's there's one part that they said. Um, they said you, if they said to you that you can't do it, you're like that's not in my vocab. Yeah, I'm not a can't do person. I'm very much a can do. Find a way to do it. I think that's one of the reasons I'll make a great mayor, is I'll change the, the the culture at council. Find a reason to make people's lives better, to lift them up rather than put them down. Mm. So that's always been the way I've been in life. And you're right. The more that people say you can't do more I get determined that mad pig-headed Irish side comes out and you, go, <laughs> you know what I can do and I'm going to do it yeah, yeah. even if a couple of times I'll be getting a decent beating I don't mind a bit of a rumble down again and halfway through the blokes go you had enough yet no I fucking haven't mate let's keep going <laughs> 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 it doesn't very often work out well keep going. but you've got that mad mental deranged side that says wow. I'm not going to give in to anyone no matter mm. how much pain I've done a, a little bit of marathon running and stuff as well Wow. I did a coast to coast once but only the team event but I foolishly agreed to do the run over the hill. It was the year that they called it off because of the bad weather, but I'd already gone well through the pass before they called it off. But they helicoptered the last half of the field out um, and then did the bike legs. That was quite a challenge because running that marathon up over Arthur's Pass, if anybody knows Arthur's Pass down the west coast, it's quite a steep pass and you run up a, it's like a goat track, but it goes through a creek and the boulders are literally as high, well, I'm not very high, not very tall, but they're your height and, and the water cascading down and you're up to your chest in water and you're thinking, this is, why am I doing this shit? You know, but, <laughs> but you just keep going through the pain barrier and it's kind of like inspirational and then when it's over, you think, feel really good about yourself. So, Wow. Mm. wow. Where does that drive come from? Like, were um, born, oh, were you born like that? Like, was there something that you... It's probably in your DNA. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. My, I think my whole family are like it to some extent. You know, mm. we're, we're battlers from Struggle Street, yeah. so that's probably why I resonate with so many people. Mm. You know, from Struggle Street because you just realise that life's not always easy. Not very many people get it handed to them on a plate in this world, particularly in a country like New Zealand. Yeah. As I said before, in England, you know, the class system up there is so easy for some people. You're born with a title, and you're born with ten thousand acres. You're born with a roller and a and chauffeur. Yeah. And where I come from, you know, I never had any genes. When I left school, I'd never seen a pair of jeans. So, you know, we mum would go and kill a sheep, get some turnips out of the paddock. You know, we're brought up on food that you wouldn't even look at now. But in those days, it was always there. We were always grateful for it. So none of us went hungry. None of us were short of love. Wow. But we certainly come from a, by today's standards, a fairly humble background. So, and that's the thing, um, Leo, because I don't think people like people who may not know you really well. They oh, did you see Leo. He's a candidate for for me. Like, oh, he's very rich, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they say, and they don't realise, hey, you've you've been through the struggle, you've been through hardship. Yeah, but even that myth, that's that's a myth now. You know, I mean, I read that in the paper all the time. But I live in a small apartment. I don't have many much in the way of assets. You know, I've got a couple of little bits and pieces, but I've worked hard for everything I've got. I've got five kids. They take some looking after, so they're expensive little units to run. Uh, I've got three at uni at the moment. One's over. One's rowing. He's in the New Zealand under 21 team. I think he just won a medal at the North American Champs. He's been over rowing at Henley and on Thames and Royal, uh, the Royal uh, Regatta. Uh, they won two races up there before they got knocked out. But he's a good boy, Harry. And then I've got the second one's third year at, at um, Canterbury doing criminology, Amelia Jane. Oh. Wow. She's a wee sausage. She um, 
So I split from my wife about eight years ago. The wife wanted to leave, which is, it's, I don't have any problem with that sort of thing because if you're not in love, you're no point in staying together. So she took the kids and left, but uh, it's been a, quite a traumatic eight years because we've been in and out of the family court, and this is getting pretty personal now, but I don't mind sharing the story because yeah, yeah. a lot of people go through the same thing. And a couple of the kids haven't spoken to me for about five years, so even though I still support them financially and in, in every possible way I can. But the reason I'm telling you that for context is Amelia, the one who's third year doing criminology, at Canterbury, you might remember about two years ago I got convicted for naming Grace Mullane's killer. Mm, yeah. And I did that with a considerable amount of knowledge behind me and it was a considered decision to do it because he worked for my sister uh, in a pub, um, which I didn't own, but I used to help one of my sisters, Julie. And he lived incredibly with the daughter of one of my other sisters, my younger sister, Trace, whose birthday it is today. So, Trace, happy birthday. They're down at the lake at Lake Canary down south, down behind Hokitika. But um, he lived with, a, with Millie Rose, Trace's daughter, who's now married to a policeman, and so I knew all about his behaviour, and I knew that he was a serial killer, or he was going to be a serial killer. The oh. Crown star witness was also, um, he, she had to pretend she was dead before he'd let her go. He got off her, so it's amazing he didn't get charged twice with attempted murder and murder. But I named him on purpose, because my view is, and I've never apologised for it, and the police and the judiciary have been to me many times, the police told me they're divided about 90-10, that I should never have been charged for it, that I just did the right thing. But I've never apologised for it. And the media never care about it. And I've never, you know, there hasn't been an impediment to me in any way, shape or form. Things like the mayoralty, it's never been brought up. And if people do bring it up, I proudly own it. So so what? It's cool. You know, I did the right thing. I'll go to my grave being happy. I don't care about the conviction part of it. I mean, the Commissioner of Police in New Zealand, Mike Bush, had a conviction his entire working life. Didn't stop him. So if it didn't stop him, why would it stop me? I've travelled since. I've been to... um, Rawatonga, I've been to Fiji, and my lawyers tell me I can go anywhere in the world and I won't be stopped. I'm going to go up to, I go to Vegas every second year to a particular conference around the end of November, early December, so I'm going to go up there again this year and test if I can get into the US of A, but I think I will. I think I'll be fine. So, um, But anyway, the reason I started telling you that story is Amelia rang my girlfriend at the time and said, can you tell Dad to pull his head in? So she's third year criminology at Canterbury, right? So I've replied to through my girlfriend at the time, I said, I'm... Um, we call Amelia Mouse. I said, send Mouse a text back and say, what have I got to pull my head in for because I'm not sure what I've done wrong. And she said, tell Dad I'm in a criminology lecture. There's 150 students here and the subject of today's lecture is Leo Malloy and breaching suppression <laughs> orders. And 149 other students are looking at me and pointing and laughing. So, oh, no. so yeah. And the third one, believe it or not, is studying political science at Auckland University. So, And I've still got two at secondary school. So. Wow. How, how do you juggle all that up? Um, Leo, because a lot of men think, oh, well, and so you, you seem like you're really multitasking. So you, you get your kids, you get the business. Yeah, well, I run on pretty high octane fuel, and I always have. So I'm, I'm not a very good sleeper. Um, I have to manage my sleeping really carefully, otherwise, I get no sleep at all. Um, my brain never stops working. I actually wondered, based on the fact that so many people said I was, whether I was ADHD once, but I went to the doctor and asked him to do a sort of diagnostic test on me he said there's no chance mainly because I went through vet school and fourth year at vet school you do 40 hours of lectures a week no practice so you've got to sit through 40 hours so four hours one hour break four hours every day so he said it's not possible to be ADHD and do that uh, but I definitely am slightly manic I'm busy all the time and I enjoy it I like being busy and I um, well I have 80 staff when we at headquarters we closed headquarters six weeks ago so we're down to probably oh, I don't know probably 10 staff now but it's not unusual for me to be juggling 80-odd staff at a time. and, and I don't find it too difficult. I mean, I, I get up every morning, 6, 6.30, go to the gym three days a week. Um, if I'm not going to the gym, I'm out doing something else. I go to work, juggle three or four jobs, and then I finish every night like this, about 8, 8.30, 9, 10. 
It's crazy. In fact, it was 11 o'clock last night when I finished, so. Yeah. And it's every day, so. Because, you know, obviously we talk about a lot of, obviously the, the whole premise is about helping other men and encouraging other men, Leo. As obviously you do, you, your goal setting. And so do you just kind of like, I know a lot of people write down goals and, and so forth. Do you just write them down or are you just like, just off the cuff, just this is what I'm going to do? I've only ever done that once. Um, uh, and it was, funny enough, it was first year at vet school. And because I was an adult student, I come in for a lot of criticism. I don't know why, but New Zealand tall poppy. And there's a few blokes saying, you know, why are you wasting your time and everyone else's time and the people who support you, you're never going to make this and never achieve it. So there's four of them in particular. So I wrote their names on the back of the door of my room at the hostel at Massey University. And every time I felt like going out and getting a burger or going for a beer, I'd look at their four names and I'd go back to the desk and start working again. So it's the only time I've ever done that, is using negative for motivation. But other than that, I'm fairly naturally motivated. I have uh, like epiphany type moments. Um, the one with the hospitality in 91, that was like an epiphany moment and that worked out quite well for 30 years. But the mayoral thing came down to largely the performance or lack of performance of Auckland Transport. I had a bad experience with them. And I thought then, you know, this is, this is July last year in case you're wondering. So I thought then this is um, not how life should be in a, in a sophisticated city. You shouldn't be treated this badly as a ratepayer. Mm. So I put my hand up and said, I think I'll run for mayor just to solve this one little problem. And within probably about a week, I would have had 100, 200 people reach out to me and say, you know what, you're a perfect fit for this city, even though I'm not political, I have no political experience. And then it got its own momentum. So even if I'd wanted to back out, I couldn't have. But the more layers I peel back, the more problems I realised the city had, and the more I wanted to help. I don't know if you know this about my past, but I have for quite some years now been working with people. You've had Butterbean here, right? Yeah. Mm. So I'm a huge fan of Dave Latelli, and I'm an even bigger fan of his father and mother, Tui and Dave Senior. Um, I love those sort of stories. I love the stories about people who look at the options in life and say, you know what, I can be lazy and deal in drugs and become a gangster, or I can work hard and be something. And to me, Dave Latelli Sr. is a fantastic... Do you know his story? No. He's the most humble man. So he was president of the mob at 19, and his darling wife, too, he had a piece in the Herald the other day. Um, He went to jail. He did six years in Parry, he told me. Don't know what for, I didn't, I've never asked what for, but he's an absolutely inspirational man. And Dave Jr. is just as inspirational, you know. The work he does in the community and his work ethic and the way he surrounds himself with people and inspires them. Is, I just love being in those guys' company. In fact, I think, um, when's this podcast going live? So I might let out a secret here. Oh. When will uh, it go to here? Probably two, the next two, weeks? two weeks. Oh, down. perfect, I can say mm. it now then. So we're having a surprise party for Dave on Saturday for his book. Oh, um, which I'm, I'm quite looking forward to. Is. So yeah. So yeah. Oh, what? we're releasing tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I'm huge fans of people oh, like David Telly and the work awesome. they do in the community. So yeah, he, he speaks really highly of you oh, too. Oh, by he the does. Way. Yeah. We have a certain symbiosis, if that's the right word. We're very different people. Mm. You know, like clearly he's about three times the size that I am. And in case you hadn't noticed, he's got different colour skin. <laughs> <laughs> but we seem to get on really well, and I thoroughly enjoy his company. He's actually on my campaign committee for the mayoralty and he's running for a local ward. I think he's better than that. Uh, I know you've got to start somewhere in politics, but you know me, I start at the top and then work down from there. He's going the other way, starting at the bottom, but I think one day he could be, he's definitely going to be a, uh, well, he's already a leader of men, but he's going to be a leader of men in a significant way in New Zealand. So I mentioned before, before we went live, that I met Willie Appiata today. That's the first time I've met Willie, and I was in awe of him. I nearly took a knee when I met him. He shook my hand twice, and I didn't wash my hands. <laughs> I even said to him, you know, I said, I, I, I'm not really a hero worship guy. To me, everybody's equal. And if you meet a person and drill down, we've all got faults, and you know, most of us have got some good points too. But there's, I think I always have pictures, black and white pictures, in my hospitality outlets of people who I worship. So. 
and most of them are artists like the Rolling Stones and um, or Jagger's an obvious one, but um, people like Freddie Mercury, for example, oh, yeah, George yeah. Michael. You know, I'm eighties style music guy. So um, and I started putting a couple of New Zealanders up, and I started with AJ Hackett, who I have met quite a few times, but mainly because of the way he created like a whole industry out of nothing and what he did in the Eiffel Tower. And then I thought I'd put a few other New Zealanders up. So I was lucky enough to know Sir Colin Meads for the last few years of his life, so I put him up. Then I thought, oh, why stop there? I'll put Edmund Hillary up too, who I've never met, but I'm a huge fan of Edmund Hillary and what he did. And I'm in awe of what he did, actually. I'm not just a fan. And I put um, Conor McGregor up because I'm the mad Irish guy. Oh, yes, of course. (laughs) And I put a few others up and then I thought, you know what? I might just put a picture of Willie Apiata up too. So I did. Do you know the one from Afghanistan when he came out of that building when they say that he chutneyed those Taliban boys? Yeah, I it's a classic that. picture. Yeah, so we actually had it with him with us today. We went to see him, mate. He's uh, and um, he showed us a medal today, which we're going to auction for a friend who's in a wee bit of bother at the moment. And I said I might buy the medal myself because he's only given two away. Uh, that was it was I suppose you call it coined or minted just for him, um, probably for when he got his VC. But the other person he gave one to was Barack Obama. Wow. So I thought that's pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, if he's going to give you, I took, he let me yeah. take a picture of him with the medal. So. Oh. And I really had a fanboy moment. I nearly melted when I met him. <laughs> uh, funny thing was, I pulled up in my car. I drive quite a big um, V8 Jag thing. And, I, and there's a bloke in a ute beside me and it had a rack on the top of it and it hadn't been washed for about two years by the look of it. And it had quite tinted windows. And I get out. He was in, had the back door of his ute open. And I opened my front door. I thought, I hope that bloke doesn't damage my flash Jagger. And I went to push past him and I, you're Willie Appiata. Straight away, I just went straight into like, I was like a 12-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for intruding, sir. But he was so nice. And he wasn't as big as I thought he was. I've seen him in before once. Um, we used to have a bar in Queenstown, which the ex-wife's got now, called Cowboys. So she's still got it. It's a good bar. But I used to like going to Queenstown for gay ski week because when you get down there amongst all the gay people, they behave so badly. It's so much fun to be down there. <laughs> they, no one knows how to party like those guys do, trust me. Is there something you want to tell us of? <laughs> <laughs> There has been a lot of accusations, but no, no, I'm, not I'm very tolerant, though, very socially liberal. But anyway, he was down there with Stephen Adams and a few of the other boys. And I reminded him today, I said, I saw you down at Queenstown, and you're at the Novotel, and with Stephen Adams, and he named the other, he had a few other um, SAS boys with him too. Um, but there's quite a few other of the big boys from the US of A who play basketball and uh, with Stephen Adams. So it was quite interesting to see them walking around because I wasn't the, oh, well, I'm a fanboy, obviously there's a lot of fangirls waiting in the lobby for those boys to walk past. <laughs> And they came, we've got a bucking bullet cowboys down there. They came and rode the ball and shit like that. So it was oh, fun. Mate. Anyway, that's so I've got uh, Hillary and I've got Appiata, and that kind of tells you what I am as a person. The fact that um, who you worship defines you. Well, you know what I mean. They inspire you. Don't, they don't define you, but they inspire you. So yeah, man, that's mate. awesome. I'm a little bit curious about um, sort of some of the role models you might have had growing up that helped influence you. Yep. So because um, Dad died young, I always felt there's a big vacuum for a male. Uh, role model in my life so there's a fellow who's long dead called Peter Pinnock who was a horse trainer so he got me into the horse side of the business so he was kind of a role model but he's not a man of great significance but he was a good man to me because he filled a big role for me um, other than that uh, I don't know if it's been too many um, I mean I'm respectful of people but I'm an egalitarian too you know I don't believe in class systems and I absolutely definitely don't believe in royalty I mean, I've worked, well, I was lucky enough to work in a very good job in England, and the Queen was the main patron of the stables. I've met her quite a few times. But to me, she was just a pasty old woman with a stoop who wore funny clothes. <laughs> and you know, we had to call her mum, but you know, I used to look at her and think, you know what? I'm an Irish Catholic. 
I could have been in the IRA if I'd stayed an item. I didn't. I didn't <laughs> but I could just reach out and grab you while you're scrawling the link now. <laughs> when she used to come down, they'd tell you, I used to wear an earring, and they'd tell you the night before, take the earring out, Mum's coming tomorrow. It's how bizarre they are over there. So I'd take the earring out. So I always knew, had plenty of warning. And she'd arrive in a little short wheelbase Land Rover. She used to wear olive green all the time. Olive green raincoat, olive green plate, olive green boots. And she's got pasty skin. And she was old then. This is going back quite some time. This is 40 years ago. I can only imagine how old she looks now. But she'd bring one security guy with her, and she'd arrive about seven in the morning, so about half an hour after we started work. And she just walked around the boxes and just like a normal person. And she's always fascinated with me because obviously I talk a lot, and I talk with a strong accent. She'd always say the same thing to me. Now tell me about yourself. Well, I only told you three months ago. You haven't I've got a very good memory, have you? <laughs> well, I didn't make an impression on you last time, but anyway, let's do it again. So <laughs> tell exactly the same story again. Oh, she must have really liked you up there. Well, she'd like me because I because I have I don't subscribe to the class system. I talk to her like mm. a normal person. Whereas all the other lads would walk around, oh my god, the queen's coming, you know, go on, do your hair, you know, pluck your eyebrows and stand up straight. To me, she's just another person. So, yeah, yeah. I think that's can I say they're slightly inbred? Who cares? <laughs> they're not going to see this podcast. <laughs> yeah. When you look at them, none of them are any good at um, academia. None of them are much good at sport. You know, they play polo, which most polo. rich people do. <laughs> But other than that, they don't get particularly good degrees at university. They all go to the military, with nothing wrong with being in the military, but none of them have been rocket scientists, to my knowledge, and none of them have cured cancer, so I don't understand why they get all this... They've got castles everywhere, and there's all these poor people sleeping in the street. Well, how do you reconcile that? It's bizarre. Thank wow. God we don't have that system in New Zealand. Man. <laughs> Lucky we have it too. You know, yeah, yeah. Don't you, do you think everybody's equal in New Zealand within reason? Yeah. I mean, some people you know, don't quite get the opportunities. Yeah, but they yeah. should. But within reason, in New Zealand, if you really, really, really want to make it, you can make it in New Zealand. You'll get your chance. So. Man, and I, I love you, you bring that up. Um, if, if you really, really want it, you can make it. Uh, and just in terms of like some of the what, what do you what do you sense? What do you see out there in some of the social societal pressures for men and so forth as to why a lot of men like ah oh, just just do not achieve well, that potential. I tell you, the interesting thing now is mental health because when I was a kid, no one cared about mental health. Um, I've, I'm lucky I've had good health my whole life. I've had a couple of broken bones and stuff, but nothing major, but I've always had good health. But I didn't miss a single day through, at school through sickness, cause, mainly because if you were a crook, mum would say, well, did you eat your breakfast? Yes, I did. We'll get to school then. So um, you never had a choice. Wow. You, know, you nearly had to be dead before she'd let you have a day of school. So it's easier just to go to school. And yeah. then you learn not to worry or share. You, know, you just deal with your shit. Um, but nowadays, in a modern world, people always want to tell you how they're suffering. But you've got to learn to adjust because it's real. Mental health is real. Mm. I know some very high-profile people who have openly discussed their health issues. In particular, for example, or JK, Sir John Kerwin, uh, Mike King, mm. who I think are great human beings for what they've done in that space. But in my day, that would never have happened. No one would have shared that. Um, I guess it's complicated now by social media. I think a lot of it is contributed to by social media. Uh, as I said before, I never had a pair of jeans when I left school. I didn't own any of those sort of clothes because we didn't have any money, or mum didn't. But nowadays, if you haven't got the right jeans or the right style of belt or the right shoes, you somehow, you know, social media makes you feel inferior. And I think that's wrong. I really genuinely think social media has a lot to answer for. And I worry about where society's going to go with the pressure of social media. It's easy for someone like me because, you know, I've pretty much within reason had the majority of my life. But when you see kids coming through now, young kids, yeah. and all they want to do is measure themselves against the Kardashians or someone on Instagram, that's wrong. Yeah. You know, that's not how life should be. So so I guess, where did we get to with that question? I can't remember where we started. Oh, no, no, that's, that's good. I was just thinking that, I just wanted to say that, hey, maybe do you think that a lot of our, 
old men or even young men up there just kind of like, just kind of not not mentally strong or do you think they're kind of weak or, or well when you think about how the brain matures and evolves as i said before i've had a lot of issues with the kids with our separation in the family court and you get a lot of mentoring from the family court you've got access to counsellors some of which you've got to pay for but even a judge will give you friendly advice because he said we deal with this all the time this is normal you know, and you think why does my own flesh and blood not want to reach out to me and you know come and stay with me and cuddle me and go skiing with me or something but the judge goes you're lucky you know, and you've got two of the five who talk to you and you know, a couple of the others will text occasionally but not often but you think I just want to be with them and but you've got to learn that you, it's not how life works. You know, they, their brains are not at a stage where they understand what it's like to be a father. So I look at it the same way as when you see kids now, when they detach or disconnect or dislocate from the church, um, I'm still within reason uh, Catholic, spiritual. I don't go to Mass every week or anything like that, but I don't like it when I see kids who disconnect from the Fano, if that's how you say it correctly, um, and from the church. Yeah. And I see these kids get into a space where the the things that they care about are whether they can have a patch, mm. buy a gram or some shit to show up their nose or something. And I don't see that as being a good solution. I understand why they do it. Short term, you know, riding a Harley, wearing a patch, girls, drugs, life's good in it. Mm. But they all get hollowed out. Funny enough, that guy from the Angels, Sonny Badger, died the other day. And I read his book. Oh, I've spent a bit of time up in North America and... Uh, he comes from a place called, um, it's between, I think you drive from Vegas down to Phoenix and you go through this place, I'm trying to remember the name of where he come from, but anyway, I read his book, he was a vet, uh, is it a veterinarian? Uh, no, as an um, army vet, sorry, yeah, yeah. I'm confusing my vets now. Um, but I read his book and I thought to myself, if you're the head of the angels and those guys are pretty staunch, you know, they never lack for woman and company and stuff, you'd think you'd have a full, fulfilled life. But in his book he said how empty he felt at the end of it, he was hollowed out, he had nothing for all the, you know, what he might have thought was fun at the time that he did, all the money that he had and the deals they did and, you know, a lot of it was violent too as well. But he felt like an empty person. And I think the whole, the essence of life really is your family. Mm. So anybody who thinks as our kids, they just don't see it that way. But as you get older, you realise when you're looking backwards through the rear vision mirror, if only, yeah. more family. That's one of the things I love about the Māori is that they have that amazing ability to have you know, their families blend and they're integrated and is it the whakapapa or is that how you... Yeah, yeah, the you whakapapa, know? yeah. We don't have any of that as Europeans, you know. Like, I know my genealogy within reason. I know when my family left Ireland, when, when they were kicked out of Ireland. Indentured slaves, where they went to and how they drifted into New Zealand, chasing the gold but doing what you'd probably call shit work, doing timber and roads and trains and stuff. Nothing flash. Um, but we don't have the layers that when you talk to people up north and they say, they say to you, well, are you Napui or what are you? And you tell them what you are. And then they start talking about, oh, my grandmother, she was married to your cousin. And we don't have any of that stuff, you know, and we're poorer people for it. So I look forward to the day when New Zealand, Aotearoa, whatever you want to call it, will be like the All Blacks, when it will be completely blended and looked at as one. But, you know, the days, or some days now, you look at people and you think, why do they even look at the world through that lens, you hear things when you're out and people go, oh, yeah, that's not right. I'll, tell you, I'll give you an example. So um, there's a lot of issues around co-governance now with things like three waters and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I always explain to people, co-governance is like being in a, a rally car with a driver sitting in the passenger seat doing the, whatever you call it, navigating, whatever they call it. Can't think of the proper name. But the sum of the two pieces makes you great. If you took one away, 
the other one can't do it without each other. And the good thing about um, Māori in particular is that their idea of ownership is more about guardianship, whereas the Europeans, if you own it, you own it. It's yours. But I don't see it that way. You know, like Bastion Point's a great example. You know, what happened there with Joe Hawke after 500 days of occupation, the government finally capitulated and said, you're right, it's yours, it belongs to you, and handed it back. And the first thing Joe Hawke did was give it back to him. He said, we'll be the guardians, but you can have it back. Now, to me, that's true. Mm. That's how life should be, but it's not how it is, but it's how it should be. So. It's cool. I like the, the, the way you think. Because you talked about um, hardship, and there's a lot of people facing hardship. And just wondering for you, um, Leo, was there ever a time you felt like, mate, oh, man, life just sucks, mate? Yep, yep, I've been in that position a lot of times. Um, I went bankrupt in 2003. My phone stopped ringing. I went from owning Euro, which was in the top 50 restaurants in the world in its first year, when I didn't see it at the time, but everybody wanted a piece of you because they thought you were something special. And then 2003, I got too carried away, thought I was invincible, infallible, overextended myself, did something extravagant, didn't have it funded correctly. Couldn't trade my way out of it. Had no choice but to go bankrupt. And um, the phone stopped ringing. Didn't go for three years. Right. So you went from being everybody's friend, you know, forever in a helicopter or going somewhere to private golf courses and stuff, and suddenly you were just on the scrap heap of life. <coughs> wow. So you have to learn to be humble and take your medicine. But I've learned well and truly that um, even in a city like Auckland where it's not too hard to be somebody, it's a very shallow, superficial life you have really I mean, I keep referencing this but the end of the world it's families where it begins and families where it ends so if you've got family you're lucky wow in terms of those times where it was struggle for you and you went bankrupt like what was it like emotionally like was it were you rock bottom for a while or I was rock bottom we were well and truly rock bottom mm. we lost everything yeah. cars houses a lot so I had to go back and start doing a normal job again yeah working hard. Lucky my wife stuck with me. We had three more children after that. <clears throat> Little gifts from God there. Mm. So, um, but yeah, it was a, definitely a challenge. I mean, you feel like, you always feel like people are talking about you mm. afterwards and it takes years to recover. And just yeah. very occasionally, not for a long time, but very occasionally people would drop it into a conversation when they wanted to just put a wee barb in your back, quite quite often in front of your face, you know. Yeah. Or in fact, someone told me today that they, um, citizens and ratepayers who have a candidate for the mayoralty they, one of their principals today said at a public thing, how could anybody believe in Leo Malloy? He's been bankrupt. But, and it was 20 years ago. Mm. I let my lesson. Yeah. I've never even looked like making the same mistake again. Yeah. Everything I do now, I always factor the risk in. Whereas at those days, I thought I could do anything. So you learn from your experiences, and no one's perfect. Mm. It's like, remember Ed Moses, the great hurdler? You know, he hit one hurdle in his life and fell over. Do people remember him for the one hurdle he hit or for the 10,000 and one that he flew over like a leaping stag and, you know, all the gold medals he won? It depends how you want to be remembered, doesn't it? Mm. Should you remember a person for one indiscretion or should you remember them for all the good things they do? So, yeah. Does that ever get frustrating where, you know, some of the media, they expect someone who's going into this leadership role to be unrealistically perfect um, and then for them to nitpick every and bring up, I'm sure they repeat some of the same narratives over and over again. For okay, so there's a couple of questions wrapped into one there. So firstly with the media, for about 20 years, um, I think I might have been a victim of the media, but I'm not particularly media friendly. I have learned to be media friendly in recent years, mainly because I realise that with my, the path that I've chosen to take in life now, I have to be work with them. So 
I'm normally quite cooperative and communicative with them. That said, they haven't actually been too hard on me the last couple of years. For a long time, they were quite um, bitter and cruel to me. But in recent years, probably COVID's been in a weird way because I never ever talked much about the veterinary side of my life. It's just not something I talk about. But in recent times with COVID, I've become something of a spokesperson for small business and because I understand epidemiology and virology and stuff, infectious diseases and pandemics and coronavirus is a common, it's what they call a zoonosis. So it's a third zoonosis we've had from the coronavirus family this century. We had SARS and MERS as well. So as a veterinarian, you know a wee bit about it and you get the opportunity to speak. And because of lockdown, in the absence of anybody else with a loud voice, I started to speak on behalf of small business in the, in the inner city and the inner city has been torn apart um, during lockdowns the last two years and then people started feeding me information like Professor Rod Jackson who's quite a well-known academic professor of epidemiology at Auckland University he started saying to me you've got a louder voice than any of us and people listen to you why don't you start taking this information and presenting it to people about things like mRNA technology and why you shouldn't be scared of being vaccinated speaking of which I'm having my fourth vaccine tomorrow so quite looking forward to that and I've had the virus as well so very soon I'll start to glow in the dark. You won't need that light. I'll <laughs> be like a little green dwarf around the dark. But yeah, I'm, I'm, um, so yeah, it's a weird world. But the media, once you start talking about things like epidemiology and mRNA technology, they, they look at you differently. They start saying, hmm, didn't know that about him. I just thought he just bored piss for a living. Um, some sort of obnoxious little wharf rat who just ran <laughs> abusing people and pouring piss. But anyway, now that they start, no, they're quite good now. So yeah, we have, we've reached... Um, it's like a bitter feud that goes on for years and years and years and in the end someone's got to wave the white flag and as I said, they hardly ever do anything inappropriate. They still criticise me, but fairly. Mm. You know, whereas in days gone by they might have been a bit unfair. Yeah. Sounds a lot like siblings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just in terms of like, sorry, I'm going back to these rock bottom moments because, you know, a lot of our men, sometimes when we hit rock bottom, it's our response. Like, how do we respond? And a lot of us just either camp there, yep, and and then real paralyzed in terms of how to get out. Like for you, what are some? What were some key factors in terms of you the turning point or getting out of it? Were there um, circle? Or? I think I'm probably pretty much a blue sky guy. I'm always looking for hope. I'm very much a windscreen guy, not a rear vision mirror guy. Mm. If it's happened, it's happened. It's in the past. It's in the past. So. I'm also reasonably innovative and creative, so I'm always looking for an opportunity. Mm. Um, I have had the odd dark moment when I thought, you know what, feeling of hopelessness, but I've never been consumed by it. Mm. I've felt it, and I've it's you feel like you're drowning, but I'm never the guy who's going to stop swimming. You know, I'll just find a way to get back to shore. So that's what I do. Mm. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty stubborn. Um, I'm, I don't wave the white flag terribly easily, so. So I guess I'm lucky in that sense. I can always draw on my inner strength. Mm. But not everybody has that capacity or that yeah, ability. Yeah. But I would always encourage people to never give up. You know, you will find blue sky somewhere, mm. no matter what predicament you're in, no matter how bad things are. Yeah. You know, if you look, if you ask, if you reach out to your bros, mm. or you can even get professional help, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I have a, a very good mate who I won't mention what profession he's in, but he uh, first appearances appears to have done marvelously well in life. He's something of a superstar if you measure people by money. Yeah. But about two or three years ago, he started having some issues and he ran me up and said, what What, what can I do? I got tipped off by a few of his friends first and they said, you've got to talk to this chap because he's really going through a difficult patch. Mm. So I put him in touch with Sir John Kerwin, who um, very kindly helped him. And he's fine now. 
after about three years, but I went and stayed with him a couple of weeks ago, and he's radiating good health and glowing, and he talks quite openly about it, but you would never pick it. He was a really good rugby player. He's a fine cut of a man. He's got kids and a lovely wife and plenty of assets, but he he was battling with the demons for a while and the feeling of hopelessness. Yeah, He thought there was no way out, yet he had everything. Every one of us who looked at him thought, my God, you know, here's a bloke yeah. who's got everything and you're still battling your demons. So all I would say is just don't give up. Look for some blue sky, you'll find it somewhere. And um, I was given some good advice once by a guy who's, um, he probably doesn't come from the right side of the tracks, but I ran into him in, in a situation where I find myself in a bit of a predicament. Um, I was battling with a couple of the naughty boys in town and I wouldn't wave the white flag, and nor would they. And they were threatening me with all sorts of things and I, would, mm. I refused to back down and he come to me and he said, look, here's the deal. And he's the one who said it to me and they gave me that metaphor about looking, he said, just keep looking through the front windscreen, don't look in the revision mm. room, you'll be fine. So I've used it a lot since to help people. Okay. And um, I think it's a good way to think about life, you know. You can't, yeah. you can't change your past. What can you do? Mm. You know, if you make a mistake, everyone's human. You can't pack the truck up and relive your life, you know. You've got to own it. And one, in a strange way, once you own it, admit it and deal with it, it's like a weight off your shoulders. It's like, it's like my bankruptcy. I never apologised for it or my conviction. Mm. I never apologised for it. It's life. Mm. And I've never said I was perfect. I don't think the media want me to be perfect. Mm-hmm. The media want you to be colourful and give them sound bites yeah. now. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's enough yeah. vanilla people in the world who never do anything or say anything. <laughs> and when someone comes along, he's got a bit of personality and wears weird clothes like I do. And behaves inappropriately like I do. It's kind of like a novelty, so, you know. And I've learned to accept the fact a long time ago that New Zealand's a tall poppy country, Mm. but if you own your strengths and your weaknesses and you don't apologise, and what's the point in moderating anything anyway, you know? What, are you going to go through your life being an actor? You know, you're going to pretend you're something you're not? How long can you go on pretending for? Yeah. You know, I've seen good politicians, good politicians, like Judith Collins, who was known as Crusher, and then the party pulled her out of shape trying to change her into something that she Mm. wasn't. You can't go through your life living a lie because how do you remember? If you're living a lie, how do you remember which part of your life's a lie and which part's real? Yeah, you know? right. It's like telling lies, literally. If you go to a dinner party and tell a whole lot of lies, you can't remember who you told lies to and a year later oh, you tell a different yeah, story and people mate. go, he's a liar. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the point to tell the truth? That's yeah. so true, good advice. It's quite refreshing because we know that you're on this uh, path to become mayor and when you, you know, a lot of the politicians we don't trust them, <laughs> and they and and it's because we know that sometimes when, once they get there, or a lot of them are always acting. So like, and for you, we'll sit down with you, and we just like we love this ref, this freshness of like truth yeah. and you being you and you're earning it. Um, so like, how do you navigate through that? Because you know you're going into this. Well, I'll tell you how I never go through it. I don't listen to them. Yeah, I have yeah, coaches yeah. now all the time trying to pull me out of shape. Don't use that word. Don't use that <laughs> word. Don't say that. Don't insult that person. Don't try and be funny. Don't. And I get sick of the don'ts. Oh, like, you can't do. And as I said before, I'm not a can't do person. So yeah. I never, ever take notes to a speech. And my view, and I tell them all the time, we have a full-time comms person who used to write speeches for me. And I'd say, you might as well try it in the bin. <laughs> I've got no interest in saying what you think. I'm going to say what I think and it comes from here. And the day that I can't say it from here, I shouldn't be saying it. Wow. Because if I'm not speaking from my heart, how can I have a value system if it doesn't come from here? If it comes from some comms person who gets paid a whole lot of money to write speeches for me, and going back to the politicians thing, how I measure them is you listen to what they say and whether they can answer a question. The ones who are genuine, who are worthwhile and worth listening to, will answer a question. The ones who don't, who shimmy all the time. Now, I've got some I have affection for, 
Oh, Winston. I love old Winston. He's a good old bugger. No, I'm quite Uncle well. Winnie. He is a good bugger. <laughs> but he never answers a question. And no matter what you ask him, he'll always come up with, um, let me tell you now, by the time the election comes around, I will give you all the detail and fine print on that. Next question, please. Winston, answer the bloody question, you old bastard. <laughs> but he doesn't, you know. And I've got people now trying to coach me saying, don't ever answer the question. Shimmy your way out of it. Blame central government. But I'm not that guy, so... And even when I become mayor, I want to be a person that everybody in the street, even though I said before, it gets a bit stressful at times. Mm. I want to be a guy who walks down the street without security, just on my own, wander down. I, even, I do it now. I wander up Queen Street and Fort Street in those areas, the tough parts of town. 90% of those guys up there know who I am. I never feel unsafe, and I always want to be that guy. And people can say, that's him over there. You know, if you want to get it sorted out, ask him. That's the sort of mayor I want to be. So, Mate, that's some, that's some great advice, um, Leo, because... I love the fact that you are, you, you are yourself, you're genuine, you're authentic, and you're right, I think when you get into politics, like you're saying, that they're trying to change you, and yeah, that's what you need to do, this is what you need to say, but I love the fact that you stand, you are, you really stand on your conviction, and you say, hey, no, no, this is, this is, this is who I am. So I'm just, I'm just thinking, because it has to come from somewhere, because your mental fortitude is, is strong, Leo, like you said, you've had some, you've, you have to look for the blue skies, the silver lining. So I'm just wondering, is, I'm, I'm, I'm just assuming, is it your mom? Is, it, is this some some of the values that, that yeah? So about? mum was um, she worked in in the, in the mine uh, Rower R O A, which is just through Black Ball. It's closed now. The Rower mine. She worked in the office, but she married at nineteen. Dad, dad was a soldier. He went to war at twenty one, Second World War, and he came home and uh, she, he was a bit older than her, obviously. But mum was incredibly strong mentally. So the mere fact that you know she was widowed at thirty three and she brought all his kids up, and as oh. I said, we never lacked for food or love. Might not have had much by way of material possessions, but she was a great staunch mum. She died eight years ago. Mm. But uh, we still, funny enough, I was talking to my very dear friend John Banks the other day, twice Mayor of Auckland, who I'm close to, and I often go, we just have coffee together and talk rubbish together, we're just mates. And um, he calls me Legend, and he said, Legend, you know why you're doing this, don't you? I said, why am I doing this, Banksy? He said, you're doing it for mum. Um, you know, that's mum's long dead, but, you know, you know that's why you do it. You do it because it's the same old story, family values, you know, you respect your family, you, you inherit through DNA. You inherit the skills, whatever skills you get, whatever talents you get, you're given from God or whatever, from your parents, and that's what you are. So, It's, it's incredible because your mental toughness, I love the mental toughness. I think a lot of us as men need to have that mental toughness in this day and age. And for you to just say that, say, hey, I just, I just keep going. Just so I think it's going. a balance, though, between toughness and sharing the burden. You know, it's mm -hmm. easy to be staunch and tough and lock it up, mm -hmm. you know, and funny enough, I'm sure I'm allowed to drop his name one more time, Willie Appiata today. Yeah, yeah. And I said to him, you know, I've got a, a bloke who's known to him, I'm just trying to help a wee bit at the moment. And I said, he's just got himself into a bit of a corner and he's just struggling a bit with the um, post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. And Willie said to me, bro, we all have that. Mm. And there's a guy there who's decorated PC. Yeah. And he said, we all have that. Mm. So if the people like Willie Appiata have that and they can own it, I can own a few dark moments, doesn't bother me. Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky I'm a bit staunch and a bit stronger than most people, but the reality is everybody has dark moments. So. Yeah. I love what you said, like um, navigating between, oh, there's, it's a fine balance between um, mental tough, mental yeah. toughness and Keep, sharing the board. Keeping it in, no one wants to show yeah. weakness, you know. Mm. And, and in New Zealand society, traditionally, Yep. You're supposed to be hard. Yeah. Your job is to be tough. Your job yeah. is to be Colin Meads, carry the ball in one hand, <laughs> play on with a broken arm or Buck Shelford. You know, someone rips your scrotum at him, so what? Uh, play on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But everybody, everybody 
in the world has moments when they need to share. Yeah. When you need to have someone to confide in. It might not necessarily be one of your bros, it might be your girlfriend. It might be your partner. Anybody. Yeah. But sharing it sometimes is the right thing to do. So no one likes someone who wants to spend their whole life crying on the shoulder. Mm. But by the same token, <laughs> I've got plenty of big strong mates who don't mind sharing. Yeah. And um, I think it's a good thing. I've got to say I'm not a person who does it a lot, but if I needed to, I wouldn't have any compunction about doing it. I'd reach out if I if I needed help. Um, That's good. I'm trying to think if I ever have. I, I can't That's ever good. think remember doing it, but I'm sure I'll sometimes in a week. I, I ring my kids quite often and say, Dad doesn't feel great today, just to hear their voice. Yeah, I suppose great. that's the same thing, isn't it, really? Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. I, think it, I don't think it's anything to be embarrassed about or to yeah. run from. Um, we just have different ways of different degrees of it and different ways of dealing with it, and some of us have a better skill set mm. you know, to deal with it. So, as I said before, I'm a very much a look through the front windscreen, look for the blue sky man. Yeah. Not everybody's that way inclined, so I don't expect everybody to have my value systems, that's for sure. I'd feel sorry for them if they did. <laughs> <laughs> and it's cool cool coming from you because you, you've got long-lived experience and so you would have gone through a lot and so a lot of our viewers, all different age groups, some of them think they know everything mm. and they can be so set in their values, but hearing, like, man, some of the experiences they had and then were looking forward, not looking back mm. and all of the stuff that you do go through, it just adds more um, yeah. fuel. Fuel, fuel. Be true to yourself yeah. and mm. never, ever, ever get fixated or carried away with materialistic mm. stuff, you know. Mm. It doesn't matter what sort of car you drive. A car's a car's a car. I mean, everybody deserves a warm bed and a roof over their head. But if you've got that, you're doing okay in life. Yeah, yeah. And never worry about wearing Versace or that shit. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. it's all bullshit. <laughs> you know, just be a normal person. Yeah, yeah. You're the happiest people in the world are often the people who have the least. And yeah, you know, I don't know if you go to the Cook Islands very much, but I love going up there mm. because those people are so bloody happy and they ride around on scooters with scooters no helmets are, yeah. on. And you know, <laughs> but have you ever seen anybody not smiling up there? No, oh, I haven't been there. I've never been to, um, to the Cook Islands. I've been a dozen times, and I've been thinking about doing a bar up there. I actually bought a place in the Vida, the building, so I could. Um, get some income. I was going to retire before I decided to become here. I bought it about three years ago. I was going to go and live in the Cook Islands half the year and come back here half the year because I don't actually like the cold weather and the wet <laughs> weather. Um, so I love the place up there. I, mean, I love the attitude. When you go up there, people are so chilled. You know, you go to a cafe and they're wearing a singlet and <laughs> the woman haven't shaved under their arms and no one cares. And It's such a cool way to live your life. You know? <laughs> what are you doing looking at it if There's this lady in a cafe out there and uh, she had this T-shirt on a singlet and she's like this and big hairy arms and, and on the front of it it had even when this um, virus is gone, I still want to socially distance from you. And I thought, <laughs> what a good saying. I should have copied it. But they're inspirational when you go out there. You know, they, they're quality of life. And they've got bugger all. You know? yeah. They're not a wealthy, uh, well, they're kind of like a sub-state of New Zealand, really, aren't they? They use our judicial system and our currency. But you never meet happier people. You know, it's like Fiji. Fiji yeah. and people are so happy. Having said that, I went, I went up there a month ago and Fiji's been devastated by the mm. COVID virus. They've lost their mojo up there big time because old days when everyone was buller, bull of an arc yeah. uh, about every second person calls out now so they've had a hell of a beating up there they'll come back though everybody will come mm. back you know the world will normal service will resume it'll take a while but we'll come back it's cool mate hey, let's, I guess we could, it's time for, for us to kind of dive into your your um, your campaign and and you being mayor uh, and so how how are you feeling about the campaign? Do you feel confident? Um, well, we started last yeah. July, so and I took salaried. Me- I started paying consultants in December to write reports and stuff for me, and we took salaried members of staff on in January. 
So what are we now? We're July. We're, we're uh, t- tomorrow is the day when you've got the, the window opens to submit your application to be mayor. So I'll be there at nine o'clock in the morning with voter opportunity, and we'll release some policy tomorrow. We've got some exciting policy coming up for the city. Mm-hmm. I'm a um, I'm very much an activator. Some people like to describe me as an as a um, disruptor, which I think is unfair. It kind of implies that you're trying to be an obstacle, mm-hmm. whereas I think I'm actually someone who initiates and makes things happen. Oh, I always have been. I'm a good creator. I'm a little bit arty deep down, believe it or not. Um, I like design and stuff like that. So I've got plans for the city. I've got big plans for the port's land. It's a beautiful piece of land. Um, there's three kilometres of birthage there, 77 hectares. And that land at the moment, uh, I don't want to get too bogged down in money, but that land's worth about probably $12 billion with the ops company and the property company combined. Uh, they don't pay a dollar of rates, not $1. And they only returned a dividend last year of interim dividend of two point one. I think they paid three million dividend in total, and that's a twelve billion dollar asset. So that's not an asset that's working for the city, and it's the best piece of land in the city. So mm-hmm. I've got big plans for the ports. Um, we're engaging and talking to people at the moment about the possibility of bringing the Commonwealth Games here in two thousand and thirty-four, which is a big challenge. But it, there's been some little bit of um, exploratory work done already by other entities who we're connecting with now across the globe about bringing comms games here which I think would be great for the city because we need the city needs something to bring it back to life, you know. It's yeah. kind of lost the beating heart. And um, some of the suburbs are still quite strong. I mean, I go out around the burbs and because I'm in the liquor business, I talk to the liquor suppliers and like the big suppliers like DB and Heineken. I say, oh, it's surprising how well X suburb is doing. Might be sanding them or something. But the inner city is really suffering. Mm-hmm. So um, there's something to be said for bringing the inner city back to life. It's like a, I use the metaphor often of a giant tree in the forest where the inner city, the CBD is the trunk, but the root structure reaches right yeah. out, you know, from Walkworth down to Pukekohe and blah, blah, and the canopy gives you your nutrition and your shelter, et cetera, et cetera. So you can't think, when you're the mayor of a city, you can't think about one suburb or one area, um, like the Eastern Bays in particular, which is, you know, a popular subject at the moment because of all the flash fillers and stuff, but the reality is that a certain type of person can afford to live in those areas and does live in those areas. Whereas um, Auckland is very different. You know, we're, we are an amazing tapestry, Auckland. The the number of cultures, the number of languages. I mean, I get around a lot now and meet all the ethnic minorities. And it's extraordinary how, how many different races and types of people, how many languages are spoken, how many different cultures that are woven together to become the fabric of Auckland society. So I think, yeah, it's a big challenge, but I'm going to try and bring the whole city together under, in one and, and do things that are great for everybody rather than just for... One part of town. Yeah, so. and I, I, do, I do like it, Leah, because you are you. You seem like you are for the people. You're out there. You're in the midst, in the thick of things. And you know, some people, I think, years in the past, but always just up in upper Auckland. But you, you go down to the south. You go down to Pukekohe, yep. and you're in, the, you're in the thick of things. You get to, to talk to people. Actually, the, yeah. the actual people on, on the ground. Yeah, I'm good at the talking game, and um, it's interesting. We almost play a game where I can walk up to any table and talk to anyone, and doesn't matter whether they're in my own outlet or other outlets. People always say, "How do you do it?" I say, "Well, you just." walk up to people and your jaw moves and you start talking <laughs> open your mouth and words fall out and sometimes it's a word salad sometimes it makes sense <laughs> but if you walk up to people and start talking that's very very unusual people not yeah, to talk back yeah. very occasionally someone will go weirdo go away <laughs> but very 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 seldom so yeah and, and I, funny thing is I like pets surprise surprise being a veterinarian where's Ty is she Ty around Ty's got a little French <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, pug dog and I'm a turtle dove with her dog at the moment. We took some pictures today. He's only a year old and he terrorises me. His name's Maui. 
but he likes to do the old shadow boxing thing, then he'll chase me and I'll chase him and play a game. Then while I'm not watching, he'll walk up behind and bite me on the back of the leg and the little prick's got the little sharp teeth. He actually quit, hurts quite a lot. So <laughs> it's a bit of a... I see we put a social media post up with him in my lap today and um, it's extraordinary how many people love it when you actually like animals. But I like kids too, so as I said, I'm one of seven myself and I've got five of my own, so... Yeah, that's cool. So I, if I find it easy to connect with people through that, you know, there's so many avenues to connect with people. Yeah, mm. and I think that's, that's very important, Leo, building rapport and building relationships with the actual people around all different diverse cultures and ethnicities. Yeah. And, and, you know, the cool thing about you, Leo, is, is that you actually have a plan. You actually have a plan. You have all these things that you want to do for the city. Um, and so I just want to ask you, what do you think about the What do you think about the other candidates? <laughs> <laughs> well, what are, they're all, they're, they're all nice people. So there's about six or eight of them. So I'll focus on the top two or three that people know their names. So Viv Beck. Yeah. Viv so Beck. she's married to a guy called Paul Quinn, who I've known for some years. He was a very good. Um, he was an ex-cop, but he's a very good rugby player. Played for Mara St. Pat's in Wellington. We have a lot of common friends. Um, he played for Marty All Blacks too. He was on the rugby union for a while, I think, and he did a term for national as a list MP. Um, Viv's a lovely person, so she runs Heart of the City. She spent years at uh, New Zealand Post, then she used to work for a guy called John Allen. She followed him to MFAT, so she worked in diplomatic areas. And then she's been at the Heart of the City for some years. She's a really lovely person. Um, Wayne Brown, he's a funny old bugger, but he's actually quite charming. But he's eccentric, and um, he still surfs. He's older than me. I reckon he's early 70s. I say oh. I, I always say to him, I've carbon dated you. I reckon you're about 1886. So. <laughs> but just taking the piss out of me. But he's actually quite a charming man. He's not quite as eloquent as I am, and he's not as quick on his feet, not as sharp as I am, but he's still got a lot of redeeming features. He's done well in life. He's a, he's a good, solid, genuine human being. Um, who else is a candidate? Efeso? Efeso, mm-hmm. I worry about Efeso. I think he's a really nice person. I've seen him from Tech saying, Fess, you know, I'd like to think we could stay mates even after this battle's over but the reality is we're on different sides of the fence now mm. and um this is not life and death it's mm. much more serious than that so i have um to use some warrior type metaphors of i'm determined to yeah, yeah. deal to, to fess mm. even though i think he's got a good heart i don't think he's the right person for the mayoralty and i worry he's been a career politician I think the city, it's time we moved on from career politicians. So whilst I like Fess, I think he's a great speaker and I think he's got a good heart. I think he's the wrong person. And for me, he's the number one person that I have to oppose vigorously. So the other two are similar to me. Um, we're all sit, people describe us as centre-right, even though I'm very socially liberal. I probably traverse the spectrum more than they do. They're, they're all sort of pigeonhole. But Fess is definitely the opposition, so... When it comes down to it, you know, after the game we'll have a beer. It's <laughs> good, it's good. But while the game's on, you know, if I can forearm him, I will. So, high tech, high tech, we. Like how you um, sh- you show respect to the other candidates, and you're and you're open and honest about like you know, I want to be mates. We can have a drink after this, mm. but I'm a good I'm a good human being. So yeah. I've a couple of times with Fess in a public debate, I've <laughs> I've shredded him, and on purpose. Mm. But I always send him a text afterwards or you know, always make sure I shake his hand yeah. and show him appropriate respect. And we have a lot of mutual friends. Mm. And I've told him, said, after this is over, we'll be friends. I'll always support you as much as I can. That's but at cool. the moment, we're in a combat situation. So as I said before, this is not life and death. It's far more serious than that. So this is a battle for the future of one and a half million people. Wow. For a future of 40% of New Zealand's GDP. And it needs a special type of person to do this job. And I'm the right person and the FESO is the wrong person. 
So I had said a long time ago that this will be a slugfest between two people. And the latest polls identify exactly who the two are, and I'm one of them. So Yeah, yeah, that's all. The, and yeah. it's going to be a slugfest. It will be. It'll be a battle. The Labour movement have mobilised all their resources against me. New Zealand on air gave a $160,000 grant to the spin-off. Wow. Just to write about local body politics. It's obscene how much money they got. They've written 20 articles so far. 15 are about a FESO. Every one of them is favourable. Five of them are about me. They're all about how bad I am and how unsuited I am. So when you know that Labour is mobilising their resources against you, you know you're winning the battle. Oh, mate, you're, oh, you're, a, threat, you're a real threat, don't you? The battle lines have been drawn. <laughs> Everybody knows now where it's going to commence, when it's going to start. It's a matter of who's going to be the last man standing. Let me tell you now, it'll be me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love the that confidence. Can do attitude. Yeah. Um, as you were sharing, I just got this like, man, you have this heart for the city. It's not just about winning. You're not trying to make a name for yourself. You There's could nothing. easily, you you got money. You could easily go and retire, but you're, um, you're here trying to, you know, do the best for. Millions of people. Oh, there's nothing in it for me. Yeah. There's nothing apart from a whole lot of work and the balance of the rest of my life, really, because mm. I want to. I'm determined to go through to 2034, which is four terms. Once you become incumbent, it's hard to get a mayor out of the seat because you have all the assets at your disposal to lift your profile and mm. to paint a picture that's always rosy and how much good work you've done. So, if I can get four terms, I can get us to the 34 Commonwealth Games. I can get my, oh. the waterfront stadium I want. I want a cultural centre. I want an aquatic centre. I want to change the landscape of Auckland City. I want to have free public transport so that Mr and Mrs Average from this side of town, instead of on Sunday going to the drive through to buy bad food, they say to the kids, let's go jump on the bus or jump on the train, we'll go into the city, we'll have a swim, we'll get down by the harbour. Because they can't access that harbour at the moment. You can get down to the viaduct, but you can't get into the harbour unless you know an old white guy with a yacht. Otherwise, kids don't get to see the harbour. And what's this city about? It's about the water, isn't it? It's about the harbour. Mm. Most kids hardly know. get to see it. Yeah, you're right. They don't get to enjoy it, you know. So my vision is to change the whole complexion of the city. And it doesn't take money. You don't need to tax ratepayers to do it. You just got to take the assets or the resources we have there now and add value to them. As I said, I can easily, easily turn that port's land. It's three kilometres of birthage, six fingers out into the water. I can turn that into $12 billion with a click of my fingers. And that $12 billion will be ring-fenced and I'll use it for the city to create something magnificent. We're already having dialogue, I wasn't kidding before, with people up in the UK, mm. with people in New Zealand, with various sporting bodies and codes about how we can take what's a dysfunctional city now in terms of like Eden Park you can't play cricket at. Do you know that? You can't play five-day cricket. Yeah. Western Springs, they can't get rid of the speedway, so you can't do much there apart from our Brock concerts. Eden Park, you can only have six a year. Penrose is not fit for purpose anymore. I went to the Warriors last week. It needs a bloody good tidy up, and you know, the Warriors deserve better. Mm. Uh, they, they've sold out two games in a row, you know. And Penrose is inaccessible. North Harbour Stadium, no one wants to go there. It's 100 miles from anywhere. Mm. The city needs Christchurch. You just signed off today on a $700 million iconic stadium. Christchurch is, what, 350,000 people? How can they afford to build an iconic stadium and Auckland hasn't got a decent stadium? How does that uh. work? You know, If you want to have 660 playing here next year, where are you going to put them? You know, you're so limited in what you can do in this city. The city deserves better. And as for an aquatic centre, as I said before, kids need to have, water should be a part of New Zealand's life. It should be a stream to swim in or a harbour to jump into or go and catch a fish off the edge of the wharf or something. But so few kids get that opportunity. It's such a shame. And a cultural centre. Look at Ngāti Whātua. Mm. When was it? 
I'm trying to remember my dates now. I get my dates wrong sometimes. I'm going to say 1846, but it could be in 1866 when they gave the land to Governor Hobson, you know, and then they got stripped of all their land and got the kicked off the Tamaki Drive and put up the hill in Bastion Point and got Bastion Point taken off them. And you know, how's that fair? You know, they deserve better. So I think we have fallen short in many ways in the way we've the city's developed and the way we've um, direction we've gone off on on occasions has been inappropriate but I'd like to think that we're coming back in a I think we're learning to blend more and to do what's better for the general population than what we have in the past you know mm, yeah, that's good and that's I want to be a leader amongst that group I want to be the person who as I said before the metaphor I always use is the All Blacks I remember the first time the All Black the national anthem was sung in Thurau you know, people were horrified people wouldn't yes, join yes, in it's now it's, I remember that. now it's normal everyone joins in you know and when you watch those boys run on the field, no one cares what colour your skin is or what shoes you're wearing. People just care whether you're wearing black or not. If you're wearing black, you know, it's our tribe. So that's how we should look at ourselves as a community and as a city and as a country. We shouldn't care where you come from or what your background is. It's what you do to make each other's lives better that matters. You know? It's amazing. Um, it's amazing, Leo. And yeah, I love it because you're saying you know, the aquatic centre, the cultural centre, and it should be. You're thinking about Auckland, Tamaki Makaru is, is the city of sales, yeah. mm. the city of sales. And then, um, but I think one of the questions I was, I was thinking, and I think a lot of people might be asking you this as well, um, Leo, in terms of reducing the, the living or cost living and all that kind of stuff, mm. because you think, oh, Auckland, Auckland's so expensive to live in now. It's just so cost of living is prohibitive, and it's prohibitive for a multitude of reasons some of which are within our control, some of which are not. So clearly COVID is a factor. It's forced to, you know, supply chain issues, which a lot of that's tied into technology mm-hmm. at the ports and stuff, which is something we can fix. But there are things we can't fix, you know, price of commodities, primary produce, um, what we're getting for our beef now. You know, people can't afford to eat New Zealand meat anymore because it's more valuable to sell it offshore. Even as a restaurateur, we have to look now at which cuts we're using because some of it's not affordable. Mm-hmm. And that's a shame because, um, you know, I'm not, um, I mean, I'm not well off, but nor am I disadvantaged in life. But when you look at people from Struggle Street who are working two jobs and you hear stories where the kids during COVID have to go out and work too because dad didn't have any work and then the kids because they get a part-time job and they're bringing money home and when dad's job does start again and mum says, there's no point in going back to school because you've already been away for three months so the kids leave school. Yeah. and They're sad stories because that's going to define where you end up in life. That's not how life should be. But getting back to the cost of living, so FES... FSO's got one really good policy about free public transport. I had the policy about six months before him, but he's managed to monopolise <laughs> the media in recent times. But my model's always been based around the regional fuel tax, which um, yeah. hasn't been spent by the government. They, they harvested all that money. There's 300 million of it sitting down there unspent. And they had plans for it with like some mill road out here at Drury and things like that, but they've never spent it. So I'm going to demand they give it back to the city. And I'm going to run a fee public transport for a year and work out how the model's more efficient. Mm. One of the things about public transport in Auckland, a lot of buses travel around the city and they're not full, they're not maximised, mm. and there's only it's a one-size-fits-all mentality to public transport. Yeah. I think there should be multi-mode options. It could be shared Ubers, it could be scooters, who knows. But we have to work harder on things like free public transport for people who can't afford it. So the average family on the south side of town spends between 40 and $75 on public transport per week. So call it 55, 60 bucks, round 60 up, 50 weeks a year, $3,000 dollars. The average family pays three and a half thousand in rates. So if I can give them free public transport, if I can link it to congestion charging for peak hour, I can do a dollar for dollar offset, and I can save every family from Struggle Street from the south side of town effectively their rates every year. So that's a big saving. Wow. That's a big part of cost of living, and it's compounded now by things like uh, 
rates are done on a basket of average CVs. So the suburbs where like Manarewa and even around here, Manukau, mm. those houses two or three years ago would call them 750 a pop for a nice enough four-bedroom house. That house is 1.2 today. Yeah, yeah, so your rates have gone up from proportionally by about 35%. As well as that, council puts your rates up 3.5% every year, and this year they've got a targeted 2.5% for climate change as well. So people are looking at their rates effectively doubling. And it's unfair because these are the people who can't afford it. These are the people who work two or three jobs. These are the people who, you know, sometimes I hear stories about the kids, two of the kids can't go to school on the same day because they only share one uniform. So one will go one day and one will go the next. Well, that's not how life is supposed to be. So, And these are issues that we have to address. Cost of living is a big, big issue. And it's an even bigger issue, unfortunately, amongst the PI community, mm. Pacifica and amongst the Māori and yeah. people who, you know, the ethnic peoples. Um, they seem to suffer the most, which is just not how life was supposed to be. So, but it's yeah. how it is. So, I know you think concentrate on one suburb. You're looking at Auckland as a whole, and you just mentioned, but our Pacifica community, um, they struggle a lot, and a lot of our audience, and especially we're part of that community. We love. I'm a proud South Aucklander, um, and a lot of us will just gravitate towards um, official because. We've got a brown brother up there. Yep. He's going to represent us. Yep. So what is your hope for South Auckland and the Pacifica community? So, as I said, I'm a very equitable person. I think that life's supposed to be fair. It's not, but it's supposed to be. So all you can really aim for is to make life fairer for people, give people opportunity. Um, in particular, of the the PI community in the South Side, well, I'm proud to say that I've been working out this side of town for some years now. I've... Uh, work with Grace Foundation, which is Dave's, Vitaly's father, mm, mm, yes, yes. and his uncle Ula. I've worked with him, um, and I've worked with Dave himself off and on for a few years now. I'm, I enjoy Dave's company as a person, but I like working with them too. I like what they do. So through the lockdowns, I helped them a lot. With I set up a kitchen for them at one stage called Community Kitchen to teach people how to cook meals for less than a dollar a meal, which I can quite easily do. But unless you know what you're doing, it's hard to do. Mm. Um, but I'm, you know, Dave uses it now for educational purposes. But I helped them right through lockdown. You know, I'm, I'm proud to say that I came out and packed food parcels with them. And mm. even when the cops turned up, I helped load the police vans with the food parcels to go and be distributed. So I'm not a saint, but I've done more than most, and I've done my bit. And I think I'm, I think I'm sufficiently. Um, I have the runs on the board, as Harold said, to say that I, I'm a decent human being who cares and. When I'm mere, no man, woman or child will be left behind no matter what the colour of your skin is or where you come from. It doesn't make any difference to me. My job is to make everybody's life better, not to make one particular sector or one particular suburb. So I'd like to think that in 14 or 15 years' time, when I'm done and dusted, people will look back and they'll go, you know what, he was a good mayor. That's all I asked for. And they do that now. There's some mayors they look back on, like Dubmire Robinson or Logan Campbell. And the city measures those men and says they did a great job for the city. And some mayors, they look back on and they say, that bloke didn't do a great job. And that, in both instances, I think the criticisms or the support, the praise is fair and reasonable. But I'd like to think that I'll be fair to everyone. I'll make everyone's life a little bit better. Not sure how, but I'll do my best. So, Yeah, that's cool. And I think the cool thing about it, Leo, is that you're, you're very confident. You're very confident in... Um, it feels like, like what you were saying before, Leo. You said, "Hey, you have the, you have your team, you have your, the people in the campaign, and they tell you this is what you need to do. Talk this way. This is the speech." But you said, "No, no, no, no. I'm going to do it the way I, who I am." Be we true, we true have a saying. Yeah. We have a saying. Just let me be Leo. 
Okay? Yeah. And I have to remind them all the time. Mm. Not a day goes by. They just, they tell me what clothes to wear. <laughs> you look really nice in a blue shirt tonight. I don't want to wear a blue shirt. I just want to be Leo. Let me be Leo. Mm. Before I came here tonight, I thought about should I change my clothes because I'm going on. But no, why would I? <laughs> just, <laughs> just be Leo. Leo just be Leo, yeah. mate. Who cares? You know? <laughs> People judge me because of what I wear. I couldn't care. No, I like wearing yellow. I wear yellow shoes all the time. I was walking into a place where the <laughs> family behind me said, look at the old guy rocking the yellow shoes. <laughs> but I like that sort of shit. You know? um, so, yeah, I'm just Leo. And I, I, I love that, Leo. Um, and the thing is, well, Leo, because there, there will be, and and you know this, Leo, the Pacifica and the Mori people will be like, oh, yeah, Ifisal. Ifisal has the brown face there, the proudy South Auckland, and you get a lot of South Aucklanders who get, yeah, that's the one. But Leo, like, what's what, what's one thing that you like for the viewers out there? Because some of the viewers, or most of the viewers, might be kind of Pacific or Maori. Think, oh, but what's one thing that you could you could say to persuade or sway them? Say, hey, hey, I'm more than just because they might think, well, here's there's about a hundred and one things I could say. Uh, we're talking about reasons not to vote for a fessor and reasons to vote for me. Well, yeah, but, yeah, or more so to vote for you, um, Leo. Well, I'm the real deal. I'm the whole package. I've been. The ups and downs of life. I've had the experience. I'm a businessman. I can read a balance sheet. I understand what KPIs are. Efeso has none of those qualities. He's been a career. He was head of the student union. He spent $5,000 on cabs, on taxis in one single year when he's head of the student union. Um, two weeks ago, he fabricated a story about road rage out at Teatatu. I read about that. It was proved to be completely fabricated, that story. And mm. in, um, in 2000, I said to the media, why don't you pursue the story? They said, because he says he's moved on. Now, you can't, I can look at any one of you three today and say, I, if I ever told you a lie, I would own it. But Efeso has done it numerous times. In 2014, he was pulled out of immigration at Auckland Airport by the police. He wrote a piece in the Daily Blog saying he was racially profiled. The truth is that he abused an Asian person at duty free. He called them a, a naughty word and they called the police to, and the police were going to cuff him. They took his passport off him. And the story hasn't been told yet, but that'll all come out in due course. So Efeso's been a career politician. He hasn't worked. He hasn't created a business. He hasn't employed anyone. And he hasn't really done anything productive. He's a nice person. He's a particularly good speaker. He's quite charming. He's a good family man. He's very religious, which I admire. Um, he's the poorest attendee bar one of all members of council that are meeting. So you could argue that he's lazy. But the difference between Efeso and Leo is that Leo does things. Leo creates things. Leo's an activator. Leo creates jobs. Leo, Leo helps people pay the rent. Leo will give you a warm bed and a roof over your head. Fesso does none of those things. He offers nothing. And when you become a member of the Labour Party like Fesso is, he is endorsed by the Labour Party. You have to, and I have the rule in my phone, I use it quite often in debates, you have to forego the right to dissent. Central government overrules every decision you make. So even at local government, you cannot make any decision that doesn't comply with central government directives or rules. So who are you electing to run the city? This city is 35% of the country's population. It's 40% of the GDP. It is the beating heart of this country, yet you're controlled from Wellington. Mm. Do you want to be controlled from Wellington? No. Do you want more of the same, what the city's been putting up for this many years now? No. If you do, vote for Efeso. If you want change, vote for Leo. The thing about Leo is I will give you a chance to make a choice if you want change, and I will build a better Auckland. Efeso cannot say any of those things hand on heart. He can't say it. He'll use the word inclusive, he'll, he'll use the word collaborative. They're just modern trendy words, they mean nothing. I'll give you a chance. You've got to make a choice. You make a considered choice if you want change. If you're tired of Auckland being managed the way it is, if you're tired of having poor core services, 
if you're tired of a council that wastes money on millions and billions now on bikeways when you don't have a bike to ride or the weather's not suitable. 2% of Aucklanders go to work on a bike, do you know that? They just spent $50 million, $14 million a kilometre building bikeways around three elite white suburbs. Point Chev, Greyland, what's the third one? It's three of those suburbs in a row anyway. What's the point? Mm. No one uses them. It's ridiculous. The council signed off on another $2 billion for bikeways. Meanwhile, Auckland Transport is stripping 1,200 kilometres of parking off all these main streets. Half of them will be out this side of town. Where are you going to park now when you want to go and buy a new suit or take your clothes to the dry cleaners or go and pick the kids up from school? You won't have anywhere to park anymore. It's ridiculous. Now, people have a way of living their life. I know, particularly out this side of town, a status symbol is to have a nice motor. You're being forced out of your motors and onto bikes. How are you going to take the seven kids to church on Sunday on a bike? It's ridiculous the way we're spending our money. You can only spend your money once. And if is on the record, I have this detail as well of saying that he thinks we should tax people more, put their rates up more, to pay for more infrastructure. What infrastructure are you going to pay for exactly, FSO? What is it that you want? I want to see people with a roof over their head. I want to see community housing. I want to see people with a warm bed. I want to see kids who can go to school, who don't have to share a uniform, who don't have to worry about leaving school at 15 to go and get a job to feed mum and dad. I want to see a fair and equitable society. FSO doesn't see it that way. FSO is all about FSO. Leo is about other people. That's the difference. Yeah, mate, mate, also. <laughs> Obviously, um, I feel as I to defend himself or, or, or share, but. Don't worry, I say exactly the same thing to me every time we have a debate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Except, yeah. <laughs> except quite often I'm a lot harder on him to his face. And then I, then I shake his hand afterwards and I say, Fess, we'll still be mates when this is over. So, yeah. But you've got to tell oh, yeah. the truth about each other. You know, <laughs> That's good none of us are perfect, we have our design faults, and I know I get criticism too, so. But I give it and I take it. I trade blows, so. That's good, mate. mate. Oh, Leo, mate, mate. Leo, um, mate. Oh, mate. And we said a bit in the beginning, Leo, you're, you're a colourful personality, mate. I'm not shy. How are we going for time? Are we getting, what are we yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, 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 we'll wrap it up soon, but Leo, I'd love I don't to. care. Keep going. I'm happy. I just <laughs> wanna, <I'll> just <laughs> oh, mate, I just. If you're running out of questions, I can just keep talking. Oh, yeah. Mate, no, no. We, it reminded me of something, though. One of our guests was saying, and I can't remember specifically who, but they were saying about how, um, you know, they're talking specifically about Polynesian um, politicians and how, you know, when they first come up the ranks, they've got all these awesome ideas and, you know, everyone rallies behind them. And then something happens when they sort of get to a certain point where, they kind of become a mouthpiece for... You can tell they're not able to speak freely about the things they want and they kind of fall in line with whoever they're affiliated yeah. with. And Probably no fault of the individual. Not my <laughs> job to defend them, but party politics always dictates what you can and can't do and what you can and can't say. And in many ways you do become... There's a lot of tokenism in politics. Mm. You represent a certain sector. Uh, I think the Pacific Island voice and the Māori voice is becoming a lot more powerful than what it was. People like Willie Jackson have done a good job of leading the way. Carmel Cipollone. Mm. So... Um, I think, yeah, they are, you know, particularly with this last Labour government, they have become empowered a lot. So I don't think, they certainly don't have the restraints or constraints they have had in the past. But I get what you're saying, it's true. And it probably applies to all politicians, actually. A person like me who's not aligned, within reason I can do whatever I want to and say whatever I want to. I mean, I've got the phone numbers of half the Cabinet and almost all of the National Party. And they reach out to me quite often to exchange ideas or say, hey, bro, you're just not doing that bit right or you, maybe you shouldn't do that. So I listen to what they have to say, but I'm not guided by them. I don't take um, orders from them. You know, at the end of the day, I'm Leo. 
Mm. So if they don't like it, too bad. And, and that's the beauty, Leo, because you're not a politician. You know, and these guys that probably have to kind of, kind of, kind of be swayed in terms of the, the parties or whatever party they're in. But you're like, hey, I'm not a politician. I'm a businessman. Huh? Uh, I love what you said. You said I'm a businessman. I've, I've got lived, lived experience. Uh, but also, you, you know, you've paid people. You know, your employer. You had people under you and work for you, and so you kind of know. And you, you know, you know Auckland. Ninety-two percent of the taxes and revenue generated out of Auckland goes away from Auckland, goes to Wellington to be redistributed. We don't get our proportionate share back. What, why, why is that, Leo? What, what, because Wellington that? dictates what you do and don't do with your life. They have this weird, because they're all public servants down there. Have you, know, have you been to Wellington recently? I haven't been there for a while. Have you seen how they dress down there? How they walk? They all have weird names like Nigel and Sebastian and shit. They walk with umbrellas and stuff. They, they're different to us in Auckland. You know? it's a little, it is a different they, they lose their sense. And they tell us how to live our lives. You know, they, Auckland, uh, I'll go back to the eastern suburbs, to the villas again. Auckland is a very proud people and whatever they have in their life, it's a villa or a nice motor or something. Down in Wellington, they're completely different animals. You know, they're, just not, they're a nine-to-five mentality. And um, well, I mean, what are they actually good at in Wellington? Can you think of anything? I used to be a Hurricane supporter for a while. They were good. <laughs> <laughs> not, not very sad, often. Sad. <laughs> I mean, I love Artie Savia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Christian Sarvia. Cullen. Cully was a mate of mine. Oh, well, not a mate of mine, but a friend, yeah. But he, he was the best player ever. But yeah. Mm. But I, don't, I when you go to Wellington, I think, what do they even see in the place? Windy hole it is. And it shouldn't even be the capital of New Zealand. We should take the beehive and bring it up to Auckland and run the country out of Auckland, shouldn't we? Well, oh, we're, we're the powerhouse. You know? it's, it's very much a tail wagon dog situation, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, what, what actually happens down there? They've got no industry. They've got one road in and out. They've got a shitty little harbour about half as good as ours. Their rugby team's no good. They haven't got a league team to speak of. Oh, mate. They've got no private industry. There's no farms or anything down there. There's nothing. Just a whole lot of wind and the hills. <laughs> Wouldn't do well to Yeah. Yet they tell us how to live our lives. And who are they? They put us in lockdown all the time and they don't have any lockdown at all. How's that for you? Oh, what do they lock Auckland down for? We've done nothing wrong. Oh, then they won't come here because they say there's full of COVID virus. No one cares about COVID up here. I don't wear a mask. You guys aren't wearing a mask. People get on with their life up here. You go to Wellington, they'll run around with masks on like they're going to go off to rob a jewellery shop or something. Like, get your silly bloody mask off and get on with your life. <laughs> <laughs> Leo, I like the way you think, Leo. Mm. I like the I lo- and you are you are true to who you are in terms of uh, you'll speak your mind and you don't even bat an eye. You're just like, hey, this is who I am. I love the fact that it's you true do though, that. and that, what I say is true. It's hard to argue. Well, that's with it, that's yeah. it. You can't argue the truth, you know. But mm. you can't try not. Uh, well, that's why a lot of politicians can't when you t- try to speak truth. Like, oh, they they kind of divert the question. So imagine how my push. managers feel in a debate situation. So when I go to debates now. <laughs> They always put two or three round in the crowd, so there'll be a hundred in the crowd, and there'll be someone will be looking at me going like this, or someone will be going smile, and someone I'll hear my phone buzz, which I just did a minute ago, and I'll look at the text, it'll go, don't do that again, because quite often I'll call a person out in the crowd if I recognise someone, don't call his name again. People are starting to focus on him, not you, so that sort of thing goes on all the time. So, but it, you know, at the end of the day, I just do what I do. I just talk shit and crack jokes and take the piss and just be Leo. But my handlers find it hard to deal with sometimes. Um, Ty, who's with me today, she's my EA, she's not my handler, but. Is she even? Is she in this room with us, or is she outside? Oh, she's just, just, just another room, Mum. Can me? she hear us? Ty, Ty, come and say hello. <laughs> she's kind of <laughs> come on, Tyler, come on. She, she's kind of used to me, so but um, and she doesn't interfere in my life, you know. But the, but the other handlers, they they do. They are always telling me, as I said before, you know, they the silly shit about you know, wear a nice blue shirt. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, wear a shirt with a collar. Take your blue shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> you feel like doing the opposite though, just to piss them off, you know. Yeah. 
Oh, sometimes you get a text set up straight. Said, who do you think you're talking to? <laughs> oh, man. Doing whatever I want to. And manhandled by you or told me how to behave and how to do my hair or whatever. So anyway, that's life. So make my own bed. I've got to lie on it. So it's my choice. I could go and be a beach bum up in Cook Islands and run a bar with a barbecue and have fun, couldn't I? I wanted to. Mm. Probably makes more sense if you think about it. You only get yeah, one yeah, life. It does. But as far as I know, you only get one life. So it remains to be seen whether we get a second crack at it. <laughs> but it'd be oh, nice to think you do. Man, I'm curious about that. I mean, I can see a lot of how coming from a business background would really help you in terms of resilience and being able to pivot and think on your feet. Um, what's sort of more difficult to get used to when you're starting off in business or sort of coming transitioning to the politic route? Um, I haven't really thought about that. Starting off in business is quite edgy because you've got to take risks, you know. You sign personal guarantees and stuff on long-term leases, so... You know, like the when I first took headquarters over, that was a million dollars a year. So I didn't sign up for 20 years, but if I had, I'd be signing $20 million away. Things go pear-shaped. The last two years of COVID down there has been pretty torrid. You know, there's been a lot of it locked down, and we didn't let one single member of staff go. We kept everybody on, kept them. Um, in the first round, we topped their pay up. In the second round, they just got the wage subsidy. But we made sure no one suffered. Everybody could pay their rent, and everybody could pay their mortgage and feed their kids. And that takes a toll. It's um, it's demanding, you know. And you've, it's like having a bucket of water in your hand. There's a hole in the bottom of the bucket, and you're watching the water drain away. And nothing you can do about it. And you know you don't want to shut the business down because you don't know what's around the corner. Mm-hmm. A couple of times I'd bring people like Stu Nash up, who's minister of small business, and say, and Labour, and say, Stu, I think I might wave the white flag. I think I've had enough. He go, play on, don't do it, don't do it. You know, you're a person who people measure the hospitality sector by and small business by. You've got to stand and fight. So well, what am I fighting for? Who knows what the future is? Who knows how long we're going to be in lockdown for? Who knows whether you're going to allow 10 people at a table or two people? Who knows whether you're allowed to sit down or stand up? Who knows when you're allowed to go dance again? You can't even go to the toilet together. I mean, for fuck's sake. You know, the dictatorial way that they ran lockdown, it completely ruined everybody in hospitality. They had us on our knees. Hospitality and tourism were the two big sectors that suffered. Um, and there was no shoulder to cry on. And when you rang the Labour government, they said, deal with it. Too bad. And... Now that's tricky. That's very going into politics is easy compared to that. Um, but I think that way. I mean, nowadays I'm a little bit different. Um, we we own a couple of buildings that we have businesses in now, which is lucky. Um, you don't have to worry too much about the landlord. So that's a wee bit of a makes it slightly easier to make decisions. Um, as for going into politics, I don't think politics is particularly demanding. Um, it takes a little bit of money to launch a campaign. And when people support you, they want to see you putting your own money in first to make sure that you're genuine. And then the second thing they want to see is a good poll. So we've done the first bit. We put our own money in to get the campaign started. We've had some generous support from a few people now, and I'm very grateful for that. And we've had a couple of good polls. So we've people now are starting to line up behind us, and it's kind of like being in a scrum, you know. I'm in the front row. I'm the little hooker. And there's about six big locks now pushing me from behind. So things are getting easier. So it's not that difficult, the political part of it. It is a little bit demanding of your time. As I said before, I'm not a very good sleeper, and we have a pretty busy life. Ty does all my bookings for me, so um, believe it or not, we're flying even to other parts of New Zealand to speak these days. She did a booking for Palmerston North or something tonight to go and talk to a black tie dinner, which I don't mind doing, so I get a lot of support from the provinces. I've got a fairly big social media profile. I have two full-timers. Well, I think they're full-time. That's, they get paid, so they're full-time. They manage all their social media accounts, which I'm not very good at. But we have an ability to penetrate, don't know why, but people seem to be fascinated with the fact that I can just talk to camera and do whatever I do. So I think one 
One week I did a piece that was particularly disparaging about the Prime Minister. It was during lockdown, I was frustrated. And one in five New Zealanders viewed that thing in its entirety. Wow. So that's mm. that's pretty big penetration. You know? So we have we do have that ability to get out and reach out to the provinces. So but um getting back to the question about, you know, what's the most risky, what's the most demanding? Politics is demanding of your time and you have to accept that if you're going to become a public figure, people have the right to invade your space. Mm. I mean, there are occasions when I think to myself, I just might go home to bed and be on my own for a while to watch a rugby test on my own or something so I don't have people pulling me at me, you know. If I sit in a bar now, someone will walk up, even if it's not my own bar, and they'll grab me by the shirt and say, hey, bro, come and meet this one. Can I have a selfie, you know? Mm. And you just think to yourself sometimes, it would just be nice just to have a little bit of a bit of peace and quiet and just chill. Just talk cack to your friends, you know. But it's just the way life is and I guess I can't blame anyone else because I decided to do it. So hopefully at some stage in the future I'm going to feel immensely fulfilled. As I said before, when I did things like running marathons, I'm not a natural athlete so it's always been hard work or doing the coast to coast. But at the end of it you feel immensely um, kind of gratified that you did it. You, know? mm. you went through the pain barrier. And you got to the end of it and you feel a, an overwhelming feeling of you know, something, what is it? So oh, it's not pleasure, but it's, you know. Satisfaction, eh? I did it, yeah. yeah. I did it, man, yeah. you know. Yeah. People said I couldn't do it and I did it. Like that shit about, you know, leg pressing I told you before. The yeah, boys yeah, are doing yeah, it. You yeah, can't yeah. do that. Well, I can actually. I'll show you. So, Steve McDowell trained me for a while. He said I had the, well, we're going off on a different subject now. He said I had the second most powerful set of legs that he'd ever trained after Beatrice Farmoina, believe it or not. Wow, Steve McDowell, the All Black. Steve McDowell, he's my personal trainer for. Nice. He's a good man. Yeah, I haven't seen him for a little while, but he's a good man. I have Monty Beetham these days, who's my boxing coach. But we call it the cuddling club. It's more about cuddling. <laughs> <laughs> but have you had Monty on yet? No, uh, we haven't had Monty. Uh, get, get Monty on. Yeah, he, yeah. He, you want to see a great example of the species? Get Monty on. Yeah, he's mate. a he's a cool. great human being. Cool. He's lethal with his hands. Oh, yeah, yeah. A great yeah, sportsman. Yeah. He's got a great brain on him and he's a great person. Yeah. He'd be fantastic for you for a podcast. Oh, man. You, you've had Kevin Milami? Yeah. Yes, we've, we've, we've had, had Kevin. Yeah, he's so humble and modest, Kevin. Like, how can you be that good at something and still be so humble? I don't get it. I'm not humble, as you probably know. <laughs> but I look at people like Kevin and I go, I just can't get how you're so humble. Man, I don't know. He's just, just like you said, he's just a lovely person. He just. Yeah. So who else? Have, who who else have you had? Have you had Butcher on? Mad Butcher. We've had yeah. the Mad Butcher. Yeah, he, we, I love Butcher. Yeah. Oh, he was our case. He's barking mad over. He's great fun. <laughs> oh, man. those rings he wears. Yeah. Man, he's a he's a real character, yeah. mate. Yeah. Oh. Who oh. else have you had on that I know? Have you had um, you had Mike King on? No, we haven't, we haven't had Mike King on. He's good. He's good. He's great speaker, Mike King. Yeah, yeah. I went to um, celebration of Quentin Pongi's life at Ellerslie, yeah. and Mike King made a speech. Seriously, a tear in your eye stuff. It was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Do, you, do you follow the league game much? Oh, mate, we are. We're, we love our sports, mate. Yeah, so do you remember so, yeah. Kevin Tamati? Yeah, we're Kevin Remember Tumaty? when he fought Greg Dowling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as an old West Coast battler, we were big in league down there. We're not anymore, but in those days, Butch Cole mm. was in the Kiwis and Donnie Ladner and MWJ, Skippy O'Donnell was fullback and about probably six or eight boys from the coast. And Kevin Tumaty was our hero because you remember when he fought Greg Dowling? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? That was the best fight ever, right? Yeah. It's on YouTube, but it's all edited up. But at the time with the fight, it was just the best fight ever. <laughs> and they were going down the tunnel, they both got sent off, and Dowling yeah, pushed yeah, him in the yeah. back and they into it. Yeah. And he ended up hammering Dowling. He had him <laughs> bent over and going, <laughs> oh, just yeah. So I was at this, um, when m m what reminded me of it was Mike King was speaking. And someone was pointing out all the celebrities in the room and they said, there's Kevin Tumaty over there. I said, that can't be. That guy's only my size. And I said, are you really Kevin Tumaty? He said, I am. 
So I shook his hand and I said, can I have a selfie? I, was like, I say I don't do hero worship. I, I love <laughs> real men. You know, I just yeah. love so I had a selfie and I put it up on Facebook within about five minutes it'd be a dozen coasters. I, I put up, who is this? Anybody recognise yeah. About a dozen coasters. That's Kevin Tumman. That's Kevin Tumman. He's a hero down there. Yeah. But you know how when they're big men, like McDowell, he was a very, very good front rower, yeah, you know. he was good. But he's not that big now. It's quite extraordinary when you see him. He's not that big. Even Kevy Mialami's not that big. Oh, yeah, Kevin, like, yeah. But he'd be 5'10", I reckon. He wouldn't I be think like, so, oh, yeah. yeah. I think 5'10", yeah. I mean, he's got great hips and legs, but he's not a, not a giant of a man, you know. Just, yeah, just strong legs, yeah. They seem to shrink after they give up playing. But, mate, oh, Leo, mate, it's just been a, it's been a bit of priv- uh, privilege, mate. <laughs> just talking to you. It's just, you just, uh, we could just sit and just talk for, for, uh, for hours. Um, just, just one more thing as well, um, Leo, because, you know, you said prior to you doing that at uh, the nightclub and you said you were you felt like you were invincible and so forth and then and I, I know this can can be like a bit of a whirlwind and, and let's say when you when you win or if you win or you know um and, and it could be still a place you, man i've done this I was, oh man you can get can, you could get to a place where you're quite com, complacent content and uh, kind of rest on your laurels what's going to keep you grounded mate what's going to keep you grounded oh, i think i'm a pretty naturally grounded person i don't think keeping grounded will be the issue the issue for me will be father time. You know, I'm 66 and I have good health now. I'm really careful with my health, but I worry that I've, I've got to get to 2034. I've got to deliver for this city, the Commonwealth Games. I've got to deliver that stadium. I've got to deliver the aquatic centre, the cultural centre. I'm determined to do it and I know it's going to take time. And I don't want to hand over the baton to anybody else. I've got a plan to hand over. And you'll be delighted to know that it's to a member of the PI community. Oh. In fact, we may well have mentioned his name only a couple mm. of minutes ago. Oh, thanks, Leo. Who's entering? <laughs> 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 but I've got high hopes. He's entering politics. So is Butterbean yeah. this year. Oh yes, yes. So um, you know, the, all the boys are. You know, that uh, I have huge time for those boys. So, oh, and I'm hoping to get us through the next twelve odd years, four cycles of the mural campaign, and to deliver for the city and once I've done my job I've done my job I'll probably cark it on the last day I'll cut the ribbon for the Commonwealth Games they can open with the Rolling Stones followed by the All Blacks and the Commonwealth Games then I'll resign on the spot hand the baton to a guy called Kevy and I'll fucking die on the spot <laughs> they can burn me and I'm, I don't know exactly where I'm going to when I'm done and dusted I'm getting, I'm getting cooked I don't want to be buried in a box Oh and I'm not having a funeral, I'm having a party, a big piss up. Mate, I'm going to pre record my video and I'm going back to where I come from, which is the Moonlight River, which is right where the Pike River mine is, where mum family comes from. I'm going in the river where I grew up. I, when I was a kid, I spent most of my life down that river fishing, shooting pigeons and stuff, and learning to be with my grandfather after dad had a stroke when I was only about seven, you see, so he couldn't teach me how to be. And what you need to learn when you're a boy, so granddad taught me. Granddad was Danny Dolan, by the way, which no, yes, I named yes, the pub yes, after the pub, him. Yep. Yeah. So I'm going back where I belong. So if I get 12 good years and I deliver for the city, you can look back and go, there's that old bastard over there in the Zimmer frame. <laughs> <laughs> and he's nearly dead now. <laughs> Someone finish him off. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, that's my biggest challenge, is dealing with the advancing years at 66, yeah. you know. Mm. Um, things don't work quite as well as they used to. I won't get too personal about that, but trust me, they don't work as well as they used to. Not all the moving parts. I still love my boxing though. My blood pressure's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have any known health issues. I've, I get checked up regularly, so I'm going to have my fourth fax tomorrow, as I said. So I look after myself, and I'm not a big drinker or anything. I don't do drugs. So. Nice. Um, my, one of my problems is I'm a very poor sleeper though. So yeah. that is a big ongoing problem for me, but I just manage it. So. Mate, also, any any, any last words, um, brothers? No, no, no. Just yeah, just really encouraged to ask me what the naughtiest thing I've ever done in my life is. Oh wait, 
What's the naughtiest thing you've ever done in your <laughs> what life? Have, what have when I was at first year at vet school, I grew weed to try and put myself through vet school. <laughs> I grew some really good buds. <laughs> I studied how to grow it, and like I do everything in life, I'm very passionate. So we had a lecturer who was to teach how to pluck the male plants and get the females to grow out some good sense of miller. And I grew it on the west coast along the beaches. I used to hide in the gorse, crawl in amongst the gorse so the cops couldn't see where you'd gone and plant it and the little pull a bit of gorse out in a little spot like about the size of this table with a couple of plants in and go back and I knew exactly when to pick them in the middle of the afternoon at about March when the buds are really like sticky and smell sweet and all that sort of shit. <laughs> and a couple of times, I don't do drugs, but that's why I got into something that made me think about I had a couple of buds about oh, probably two years ago. I went to a place out in Helensville, maybe three years ago. And I got on, the, we'd had a couple of um, espresso martinis to open the batting before lunch. And I'm not a big drinker, so I was half pissed. And a bloke handed me a big fat joint. I won't mention his name. I had a couple of puffs. I thought, oh, fuck, that's good. Anyway, I got out to this big party and had um, Dave Dobbin was singing. And <laughs> I ended up climbing into a hedge and going to sleep. And someone dragged me up by the ankles. Wake up, you little prick. And find another tree to climb under and go to sleep. But I, was I went to a Simply Red concert once and someone gave me a hash cookie. I'd never had a hash cookie before. And, and this is a long time ago, Simply Red, right? Man, I got into the worst body stone ever. I was at a complete tin soldier. I was in the middle of the dance floor. And about 500 people dancing around me. And I was like this. So you just, you just I didn't there. move for hours. Oh, man. <laughs> but it was so good. The music sound is so good. <laughs> but that's about as naughty as I've ever done. So. I thought there was another one. Um, you're not going to talk about the other one, um, Leo? Which one? The one with the, you know, you with the, the lecturers and students. And oh, have you read that story? <laughs> <laughs> Did you read that? You, I can't believe you read that. I should never have said that. That's, that's very personal stuff. But yeah, that is true. But yeah. no, we didn't discuss that. <laughs> I thought the story about the buds was pretty naughty. That's, that's, that's funny. Three specs on. You can't beat good weed. And on the West Coast, they grow really good weeds. Up the, up the coast road, you know, some of those guys, I won't mention their names in case they watch the show, but some of those boys knew how to grow really good shit. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't had one. I said I had, well, I had a couple of joints with the one guy both times and about three or four years ago. And it, it's, I've got to say, it's a great feeling when you're completely off your chops listening to some good tunes. But, but I'd hardly do it, so. That's about as naughty as I've ever been, so. Mate, you know what you've done, Leo? You've swayed all, you've swayed all the Pacifica naughty people. To be honest with you, I think all the Pacifica people follow me now anyway, because headquarters is like um, 90% um, Pacifica oh. and Māori. You don't oh. get Yeah. I always make jokes about old white people. You don't have to read that shit, but <laughs> someone asked me once. I got nominated for some award. I think it's called Lewisham's, and they... There's three other nominees, and one of them was Soul Bar. And I said yeah. something in a pro- – I got hauled over the cold for saying I said it's full of old white people and girls with flappy lips. <laughs> I got taken in – I got severely told off for not being a team player and for saying it. But it's true. Yeah, yeah. Okay, kids. Oh, Leo, it's true. Man. Oh, man. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yes, what is that? No, no, all no. good. Since you told us your naughtiest um, um, moment, what, what's been your proudest? Um, probably getting my degree has made me pretty proud because mum was alongside me and you know I think um, as I said before I'm not sure if we said it on air or before we come to you Banks he said to me you know why you're doing this don't you and I, he said for mum so even though she's long dead you'd like to think that mum would go you know what he was a little shit to bring up he's a little he was drinking piss when he was about 10 or 11. He was smoking cigarettes by the time he was 12. He was chasing girls up and down the street. <laughs> That's why she did the deal to let me leave school because I was such a troublesome child. She must have been sometimes looking at me going, what have I bred? What have I bred? But then when you get your degree and you, I'm a doctor, becoming a veterinarian, you become a doctor. And even I, 
kind of got the feeling the insurer was very proud. She thought, you know, maybe he's not completely hopeless. Maybe he's not just a little loudmouth pain in the ass. who likes the sound of his own voice. She always used to say that to me. You love the sound of your own voice. Shut mm. up for a while. <laughs> Mum, I'm just talking. <laughs> but um, you'd like to think that, you know, that would be your proudest moment when your mum's alongside you. So, and then if and when I become mayor, which I think I'm a huge chance of doing it, you'd like to think that she up there, she'd be up there watching and go, She'd be very proud, yeah. You'd think mate. so. You well, know. she would, you know, mate. And mm. if she's not up there watching, well, I think she is, so that's all that matters, really. Yeah. yeah. And it's, as I said before, there's nothing in it for me for doing this job. I'm doing it for other people, not for me, so. Beautiful, mate. Beautiful. Thanks, bro. Jay? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I'm just grateful for, um, you know, you, you asked a few questions there about aren't you tired and, um, you know, all these other different things and a lot of it really struck a nerve with me, so I just wanted to thank you for being a true self and just saying it how it is, it really is refreshing. And I think because I'm in my final year um, at university to become a teacher. And hey, so, well, good on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah a primary yeah. school teacher. I, I, I really believe that um, developing good character in, in, in kids at a young age will help mm. guide them in life. Um, but there's, there's also some similar barriers in terms of, you know, you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to say this. There's all sorts of things like that where mm. they sort of keep an eagle eye on you. Um, and so it's really refreshing and awesome to see you in the space where a lot of people are like sort of treading on ice, but you've found a way to be yourself and be successful at it. So I don't know where the camera is, but I presume it's over there somewhere. But all I can say is, um, hand on heart, solemnly, that I will always be a man of the people. And even when I become mayor, I can promise you I will still walk the streets. I'll walk them at six in the morning on the way to the gym. And I've already had a... A very high-profile person want to be my personal security. I said, I will never need security. I will always wander the streets and be a person who reaches out and shakes hands, and I'll lead by example. If I won't do it, I'll never ask anybody else to do it. Even at work now, well, Ty will tell you this, I, if there's a toilet to be cleaned, I'm happy to clean it. doesn't bother me. You know, to me, we're all equal. We're all born equal. We all end up the same way, in a box, or in my case, in a river. Um, so there's nothing flashy about me. When I become mayor, I'll just be like, I'll enjoy nothing more than coming out this side of town and helping Butterbean load some food parcels into a van, someone to distribute or something like that. So, cool. I'm just I'm very very proud of the fact that I'm just a bloke. Mm. You know, I didn't have a great flash um, sort of entree into life. You know, I wasn't born into money. Yeah. I was born into a good family, but I've never had a life of privilege, and I've earned work for everything that I've got in life, I've earned everything, I've had nothing given to me, I take nothing for granted, and, and I'm just a, I'd like to think that I'm a good New Zealander, good Kiwi, and I feel humble when I'm in the presence of greatness, like I said before, Kevin Mialamu, I humble when I'm around people like him, but in my own unique way, you know, I've been given a certain skill set by, and I think I've utilised my skill set that I've been given quite well, and I intend to keep utilising them for the benefit of as many people as I possibly can, so... That's my goal in life. I'll die a happy man, I can promise you that. That's awesome. I'll have no regrets. I haven't wasted a single day of my life. And I don't ever look back and think I could have done that better. I'm not a big rear vision mirror man anyway. But, you know, you look at some people and you think to yourself, you could have been anything. You see some rugby players who come through the grades and you think to yourself, that's the next big thing, and then they come to nothing. Yeah. But I've never had those sort of feelings in life. You know, I think it, within reason, everything I've aimed to do, I regret some things. Like I really regret the, I've had two marriages, the second marriage, the breakup, that hurt me really badly for a long time, mainly because of the kids. But I'm confident the kids will come back in due course. Two of them are great. One of them in particular is really fabulous supporter. So that's probably the one big regret that I have in life, but 
I always felt that was beyond my control. I kind of didn't contribute too much to it. It was an informed decision made by my wife at the time, and I understood mm. that she thought that you know, if you fall out of love, you've got to move on. There's no point in living a lie. <laughs> so I kind of supported her, but that was quite traumatic, and probably if I do have to say one big regret in life, that would be the one that I couldn't have been a better father and a better husband. I wish I had been, but it didn't work out that way. So just life. And as Ned Kelly said when they took him to the gallows, such is life. Yeah. They asked him, said, what are your last words? Such is life. It's life. Right. You deal with it. Make the most of it. Deal with the shit. Mate, Leo. Also, you have... It's been a real privilege, Leo. In all honesty, it's been I'm a sure real you privilege. say this to every single person. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think this is the first time. It depends on the guest. Yeah, it's been a real privilege. I love it. And like, like we could be very well be sitting next to, you know, the next man. And, you, and I love your confidence when I'm... You oh, are yeah. sitting next to the next man. Ooh, we have a plan. We have planned it for a long time. And we work hard. We plan every step of the way. We're, in, we're on the runway now. So I tell people, it's like when you're going to have a fight and you train for six months in the gym, you practice all your moves, you practice your weaving, your bobbing. We're about to climb through the ropes. The yeah. battle's about to commence. Or the other metaphor I use, have you watched Top Gun yet? Oh, the new one, Maverick? Yeah. No, I haven't seen it. Haven't sound effects are fantastic. Storyline's crap, sound effects are great. <laughs> but I'm like that F-14 jet that's in oh. the bowels of the aircraft carrier and they're just loading up all the bombs and they put you on the lift and I'm about to go up onto the deck and they're about to, Tom Cruise is about to insert himself <laughs> into the seat and they're going to hit the afterburners and away we go. So <laughs> we've got 89 days to go, I think, from today. Yeah, yeah. So the fun part, the practising's all over. Now we're it's into the... Fights on, this eh? is the serious part of the business here. This is where the, um, I'm going to say the real contest begins. I'm trying to think of a better metaphor. This is um, you know, where we'll find out who's got the ticker, mm. who's got the bottle, who's got the ability to deliver, who can stand up and convince people to vote for them, who can deliver a message that appeals to everyone. And bearing in mind, I don't have party support, so... But I already have 30,000 supporters on the social media pages. I've got 1,000 volunteers. I've got as many volunteers as the entire Labour Party, which is an extraordinary thing. But they've got resources that I don't have. You know. They can go out to each suburb and say, get 20 volunteers to go and do pamphlets this Saturday. I don't have that capacity. So I'm at a bit of a disadvantage there. But I do have a huge following because people are drained and they're tired. You know, they're drained because of COVID and because of just the exhaustion of life, of just not having what they need to get by on a day-to-day -day basis. And they're tired of reading the bad news in the paper every day. Every day you turn the TV on, it's bad news, bad news, bad news. We need to have some good news. You know, we need some blue sky. That's why we need me as the mayor, because it might be a little way in the future, but there's going to be plenty of blue sky and things to look forward to and opportunities and hope. That's what the city needs, it needs hope. It needs belief. And if you haven't got that, what have you got? It's got a dark clouds over your head every day of your life. Really? Is that a life? Yeah. We can do better. As I keep saying, build a better Auckland. That's what we've got to do. Do it together. Awesome. And like I said, it's real, real honour, real honour, Leo. And Leo, every guest that comes on, we always give them a gift. So I've, so we always give them a bit of a carrot. Oh, some buds, hey? <laughs> <laughs> mate, we always give them a gift. So this is a caricature. A caricature, uh, a caricature of you, mate, a sketch of you. I've got to say, I'm not a great look, but you've done a good job. Here. You've, <laughs> you've, you've, um, what have you done to me? You've taken all the wrinkles out for a start. That's a good start. <laughs> it takes a whole lot of polyfiller and putty to do that, a lot of Botox. But mate, <laughs> whatever you've done. 
Yeah, well, that's great. Been, it's, it's been a real privilege, man. And thank you so much. And, and you know, the greatest thing about our conversation, Leo, is that you know, people are looking at, at, at your age. You know, they kind of sit in their ways. They go, oh, looking at retirement. But look at you. You're still going, mate. You're still going. You're still following dreams and goals. And so As I said, yeah, I run on high-octane fuel. And I didn't, um, you know, I didn't gas myself up. I was born this way. So I saw a piece, Michelle Bogue, for some reason, was asked by one of the newspapers, what's it like being around him? And Michelle's not a close friend, but she's a friend. She said it's like he lives four lives at the same time. He just, everything about him is so busy and so active. But to me, it's just normal, so, you know. I mean, people who try and keep up with me, they're always saying, slow down, slow down. I said, why don't you just speed up? You want to live life at my pace? Just speed up. It's not that hard, you know. Not hard for me, anyway. You know, thank you, boys. Thank you. Thank you. And um, God bless you all. Thank Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And God bless everyone now. Yeah. Yeah. Leo, yeah, yeah. Any, any last words, Leo? Just encourage our viewers. Oh, just, our look, never, never give up hope, you know. No matter how bad things get, don't, and don't default to the easy options in life. Steve Hansen, the All Black coach, um, we did a barbecue. We quite often worked together. Well, not often, but occasionally did auctions to sell barbecue shit with, have Steve cook your barbecue, and I get roped into it too. But we went to one in Monica that we'd sold to some very good friends down there, and he was giving a speech to a whole lot of the boys down there, young island boys, and mostly Fijians, rugby players, and he was talking about the great players that he had in rugby, and he very generously wrapped me into the conversation, which was ridiculous because I'm not even, shouldn't be using the same sentence as these people, but he's talking about Richie McCaw in particular, mm. and he said what made Richie McCaw different in life was that he used a simple metaphor in life, sometimes you can turn left and sometimes you can turn right. And turning right is always the hard option, but it's the right option. And he said Richie McCorn never, ever once in his life turned left. But every other person who Steve had obviously dealt with had just occasionally in life had said, I'll just take the easy option today. But my message to the kids out there, and mainly it's all about the kids because it's the other future, is never take the easy option. Take the right option. Yeah. Do the hard yards. Do the mahi, you know, mm. it'll pay off. Even if it's a long time to get you, you know, you'll be a better person for it. And never detach from your family. Mm. Family's everything, so. Awesome. Build your life around your family, and if you're into the church, build your life around your church, but don't get into those silly bloody drugs and gangs and stuff, you know. It doesn't make you a better person. It's taken the easy option, but it's not right. You, die, you don't die a happy person if you take those options, so. Great advice, great advice, and well, awesome. well said. Um, as obviously, you, you already called out Monty, so Monty, Monty Beethan, be good to have you on. Um, I'll on, share his number, I'll tell him, I'll tell him in the morning. He's busy with Kevy at the moment because <laughs> yeah, um, cool. we, we've, yeah, we've yeah. suspended the gym for a few weeks while he deals, yeah. deals with Fight for Life. But awesome. I talk to him every second day, oh, so I'll awesome. ring him tomorrow and say, Oh, awesome, this cool. I'll tell him to connect up. He's great. He's a great talent. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. He's a better speaker than I am. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got a higher opinion of himself. Oh, is he, is he? And he oh, quite often reminds oh, me that, yeah, yeah, when you get carried away and you start telling, you start getting a little bit, you know, too big for your boots, he's always the first person to tell you, Malloy, settle down. Settle down. <laughs> settle down. You're only an old white guy. <laughs> so, but I'm very proud of Monty. I'm proud to have him as a friend. And I think he's a great, he's a great leader of men. He's like Kivy. Uh, they, these are the people that we should have as role models because um, those guys, Monty doesn't never make a mistake in his life, you know. You look at his whole life, his playing career, his business management, his family, his value systems, the way he presents his brand to the world. He's just like the perfect human being, Monty. And his father was an outstanding yeah, yeah. athlete too. Monty, so, yeah, Monty, the senior, yeah. yeah. Oh, mate, that's cool. Right, hey, listen, thank you so much once again, um, Leo. Appreciate it. Um, guys, please like and subscribe and please look forward to your 
well thought out comments and so yeah been awesome awesome thank you once again and so our mantra brothers refine unlock and take, take charge, charge. Awesome. thank you so much mandate